Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Okay, so before we get going today on our study, uh, before we get praying, um, I just wanted to run over a few scriptures because I found some really interesting things for tonight's subject. Um, you know, of course, it's called another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. But what's really interesting about it is we grow up in our lives only knowing that there is one Jesus. You know, we've heard that all our lives. The name Jesus is like a household name, you know. So when you hear another Jesus, you're like, man, isn't is that possible? Because when you go through all religions and things of the world, it's just so funny how everyone, um, you know, believes that if you use the name of Jesus, that we're all talking about the same Jesus. So I just want to uh, go through a couple of scriptures before we go into prayer. Um, I found some really interesting things and really showing that there is nothing new under the sun. So this is just for setting the floor. So from here, let's go to uh, Acts 13 and we'll start at verse 1. Acts 13 and 1. All right, so Acts 13 and verse 1, and it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, uh, which, had, which had been brought up with Herod uh, to Tetrarch, I mean, Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Okay, so the Holy Ghost spake for Saul and Barnabas to move on, you know, Saul, which is called Paul, to move on and do what the Lord wants them to do. And when they had fasted, and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also joined uh, to their minister. So they went out and they preached the gospel, you know, um, it's a natural thing for the presbytery, which are the elders. And I'm not talking Presbyterian church. I'm talking about elders, which is the Greek word uh, presbytery, where they would lay hands on uh, people that believed, you know, that were um, believers. And they would fill them with the spirit, sending them forth in the power of God, you know, to have that done. So this is um, verse six. And it says, and when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, uh, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. So this is really interesting because they, while they were out there ministering, they found a false, a false prophet that wasn't saying that he was the son of the devil. Bar-Jesus means the son of Jesus. So this individual that was out there, a false prophet doing his works, 
hid behind the name of the true Jesus to say that he was the son of Jesus and hope that others may believe that he was authentic. But it makes clear here that he was a sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius uh, Paulus, uh, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus the sorcerer, for so is his name, by interpretation, uh, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So you understand, this guy bar Jesus, this Elimaeus the sorcerer, whatever his real name is, he was with a, a deputy of the country. And somehow he was manipulating this man from hearing the truth that Paul and Barnabas wanted to bring, which was the gospel of God. I think it's really interesting when you go to Ephesians 6 and it talks about how, you know, when it when it uh, speaks of we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, when you understand what the word principality is, it does mean, you know, it's a, a magistrate or a government, you know, and then when you get to powers, it means authorities. But then, you know, the rulers of the darkness of this world, you get the Greek word cosmocrater, which means world ruler. And then you get the spiritual wickedness, which is like, you know, in the heavenly realms, not in God's heaven, not in the third heaven, but around the globe where there is spiritual wickedness that influences all things. Well, right now we're looking at Elimaeus. And he is somehow manipulating this deputy and doesn't want him to hear the word of God. So then it just makes us wonder what kinds of powers are in the world that can write such laws of legislation that can go so against the word of God in the Bible. So you see, this is nothing new, you know. So you understand what principalities and powers are influencing the laws that go against the word of God. All right, so it says... Elimaeus, again in verse 8, but Elimaeus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all sub uh, subtlety, okay, and all mischief, thou child of the devil, Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to prefer the right ways of the Lord? So this is key for tonight because Paul addresses this guy full of the Holy Ghost and says, Oh, full of subtlety. So you know that subtlety is um, softness. Okay. And then it says, and all mischief. Okay. So this guy is the source of everything wrong in this town. Thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? So what they mean by perverting the ways of the Lord, this bar Jesus was using Jesus' name clearly in the wrong spirit because he turned people away from the gospel and he had his own gospel. So he was attempting to pervert the gospel to draw people unto him. Verse 11, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist 
and a darkness, and he went about seeking um, some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So you see that God's word will win overall, no matter what false doctrine is there. You know, God's doctrine is 100% perfect with prophecy and all things that are said. God's word is truth. Jesus Christ is the living word, and he is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. So we understand here that in an open confrontation with this sorcerer, he was no match for Paul because Paul was full of the Holy Ghost. So his false title of the son of Jesus was wiped away. He clearly wasn't of Jesus or the Holy Ghost wouldn't have gone against him. His doctrine was false because he was manipulating this deputy only for this deputy to hear the real gospel and believe God. Not believe Paul, but believe God. The real gospel is going to turn you to Jesus and not to a personality. And then it was definitely the wrong spirit this guy had, or like I said, the Holy Ghost wouldn't have smitten him with blindness. So, I mean, you look at how awesome God is that he can take someone that can scare the whole town full of false power and there's nothing that compares to him. So you don't want to fool around with God because he will search us out and he will see which is true, which is authentic in him and that which is not will be, you know, judged. Okay, so for me, I want to go on to another scripture because these are going to be so key for tonight's study. So let's go to... Uh, Let's see where I want to go here. Let's go to Mark 7. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. All right. Mark 7 and verse 1. And it says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they had saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they, sh which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. So... The uh, Jesus' disciples were coming in, they were eating bread, and they had not washed their hands. So these self-righteous Pharisees are coming about saying that, well, you know, they're, they're about to make their point as far as why they believe that the disciples of Jesus were unclean. Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why not, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands. He answered and said unto them, Well, hast Isaiah prophesied to you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. So Jesus is talking about here that, Did you not ever catch what Isaiah the prophet had said concerning that people can honor Jesus Christ or honor the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with their lips, but their hearts being far from him. So he's making it clear here that there would be people that, would, that can actually walk around 
screaming Jesus. They can shout hallelujah, praise the Lord. They can believe that Jesus is the son of God. And they can say all of these magnificent things. But the funny thing would be is that their ways are so different from his. That they don't see Jesus as his true form. They can say Jesus and they can call him Lord, but not do what he asks. And I believe Jesus actually did say that. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I ask? So the name of Jesus can be used at any place, in any situation, but it does not mean that that person is a Christian. Okay, so what they failed to realize here is because of their traditions, they were trying to show what was righteous and what was clean not realizing that Jesus was coming with a new covenant, not just with the appearance of looking clean, but being clean in self, being holy, because you have the Holy Ghost, which changes your nature and not just from little subtle things. Okay, so we get a clear understanding that there's a big difference between looking righteous and being righteous. There's a big difference between a self-proclaimed Christian and an actual Christian. Okay. So he says that their hearts be far from them. Look at verse 7 again. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So this is how a lot of doctrine over the years had creeped into the churches. This is why you got a lot of people shouting Jesus, but then you hear of a Christian science movement. So everyone wants to use the term Christian, and everyone wants to use the term Jesus, but they do everything that is so not like Jesus or have hearts that are so not after Jesus that it is impossible for them to, you know, follow the Lord. They end up following the traditions of men. And this is why you can have churches full of people that follow personalities of the pastor. You can have false holidays in churches that are totally pagan, having nothing to do with God, but because people have known this to be tradition, they go with it, never questioning the origin, and never even asking if God is for it or against it. Look at verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such alike things ye do. So again, you have a lot of churches where people will go in and they wear their Sunday best and they, they smell nice and they look clean. And they say all the godly things on Sunday, but they live like the devil Monday through Saturday. All right. So this is what he's talking about. Verse 10. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother and whoso father or mother and whoso cursed father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say um, to his father or mother, it is Corbin, that is to say a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, by men, or by me, uh, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. Uh, so, you know, this is making it clear here that you have, you can honor your father and mother, as the Bible says, to a degree. But then there comes a point where if they're standing against scripture or standing against the word or the ways of God, then you have to stand with the Lord. This is simply what it's talking about. Verse 12, And ye suffer him no more to do aught uh, for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have uh, delivered, and many such like things ye do. So he's saying, you know, you make the word of God none effect 
because you would rather side with mom and dad. You'd rather side with tradition other than going according to what the scriptures say. So this is, you know, difficult because how can the Lord work with us if we cling to tradition? Tradition is not salvation. Tradition is not Jesus. Jesus or, or Christianity, well, not Christianity, but being a Christian is relationship with the Lord. All right. Verse 14. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entereth into him uh, can defile him. But the things which come out from him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have an ear, let him hear. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. So he's making it clear that there is nothing on the outside of a man that can defile him. He's saying that all sins come from within. All sins come from the very nature that we have. We don't sin because it's what we do. We sin because it's what we are. There is a nature about a sinner and there is a nature about someone that is born again in Jesus that though they may struggle and have things that may trip them up, they still little by little get better with Christ and to learn to obey the spirit and obey the word of God that they will have less sin in their lives until they've been sanctified of the Lord. But a sinner lives day by day, no conscience, doing what he does, taking chances, even though he knows what God's word says, or he may not know the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, a sinner sins, just like pigs oink, just like dogs bark, just like cats meow, okay? Just like cows moo. You guys get the point, all right? A cow moos because that is the nature of the cow. Pigs like to be in filth because that is the nature of the pig, okay? But a born-again believer in Jesus Christ or someone that is of Jesus is going to be clean from the inside out, having Jesus Christ formed in him so that he will not live as he was before, okay? So from here, I want to go to one more scripture before we go into prayer. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. See, so the real gospel is not going to put, you know, not going to put perfume on stink. It's going to clean you from the inside out so you will be truly sanctified in Jesus. All right, 2 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. Look what it says. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So Paul is saying, because these are his last days, you know, his last chapter he wrote, preach the gospel, all right, be instant, in season and out of season. So you should always be at it. Reprove, rebuke, you know, and exhort all those things are for correction with all long suffering and doctrine. So as you're out there preaching the gospel, you're going to suffer long because you're going to get opposition. But then he's talking about and doctrine, meaning doctrine has to be sound. Okay, scripturally sound. Verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. 
So these are things that we should be thinking about because if it's talking about, if tonight's subject is another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit, you're going to find that many will be turned away from sound doctrine. They won't endure it. Why? Because they love the world, because they're enticed with other things other than the truth. But will, um, uh, but after uh, their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And you see this a lot today. Everyone wants the loving, feel-good gospel. No one wants to know what they should do for the Lord, and no one wants to be told that they're wrong. Verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables, turned unto fantasy, turned unto things that are untrue, turned unto magnificent stories that people would rather learn about than what the Lord wants and what his judgment says. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Okay, so Paul here is warning us that this is what we ought to do. Why, Paul? For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. So Paul is dying here in prison. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Okay, so right away, he fought the good fight of faith, meaning he endured affliction every day. Then it says, I have finished my course. So he did what was required of him, simply what the Lord has asked and what scripture suggests. And then it said, or scripture commands, and have kept the faith. So he didn't stray away to another faith. And because of this, he has a crown of righteousness laid up for me. So Paul knows that he made it in. And see, for all those that love the appearing of Jesus Christ, you are going to want to do these things too. And you're going to want to cling to the right doctrine. Why go off course only to be judged? Do the diligence, do thy diligence uh, to come shortly unto me. Then he talks about one of his friends, Demas, had forsaken him, having loved this present world. So you see, the doctrine or the gospel is going to extract you from the world. It's not going to allow you to be a part of it. And that's why the Bible says live in this world, but not be of this world, because our calling as Christians is separate. But in order for us to be on the right path and to finish our course and to keep the faith and to fight the good fight, we have to have the right Jesus. We have to have the right gospel and we have to be of the right spirit. So from here, I think that we can go into prayer. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you again, Lord, for another day now promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and transgressions and those things, Lord, that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful here for my brothers, my brother and sisters in Christ, Lord, that you have given us yet another day, Lord, to worship you and to get to learn of your word and to be taught by your spirit. Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done as far as taking care of our families, Lord, as far as protecting us as we go to and fro, as far as going out, Lord, and giving us the words to speak, to preach the gospel to others, Lord, that they might believe. Lord, I'm just asking that you continue to give us the ability, Lord, and the power to do so.
that, Lord, it's really not about our lives, Lord, but it is all about those out there who are lost. And, Lord, if you have given your life for us, it is only right that we do the same for you, Lord, and for the brethren. For, Lord, your love is selfless, and it's really all about giving what we have, Lord, that others may live. And, Lord, I'm just asking that you put a sternness in our spirits, Lord. I'm asking that you put a sternness in our spines, that we may face the promised land, Lord, walking through the wilderness of deception, that we may continue, Lord, to seek you in all things, that we turn away from our sins, that we turn away from wickedness, that we turn away from unrighteousness, Lord, for these things have nothing to do with you. I'm just asking, Lord, that your Holy Ghost fall mightily today. I'm asking, Lord, that it hit every single believer present, Lord. I'm asking, Lord, that it even hits those, Lord, who may hear these messages afterwards. Place your anointing on your word, Lord, for we place no confidence in the flesh, and we think little, Lord, of us, for we know aside from you we can do nothing. In the name of Jesus, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, Every antichrist spirit, Lord, every spirit that goes against you, within and without, Lord, let them be canceled. Let them be ceased. Let us be delivered, Lord, from iniquity. Search us through and through, Lord, and see what is there, that we might be like you. Lord, we're just asking for your grace and your mercy, because none of us deserves to walk with you. But, Lord, we thank you for being an everlasting Father, a mighty God, a Prince of Peace, Lord, a wonderful counselor, for you have not given up on your people, no matter what we have done. And we just ask, Lord, that you continue to help us through our experience, that we may really do, Lord, what you have called us to do. And then you may say to us one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, there is no greater glory than to be with you in your kingdom. And I'm just asking, Lord, that we bring the kingdom from within. Whatever the buried treasure is that you have stored in us with the Holy Ghost, I'm asking, Lord, that we crack these vessels open because these are the times that try men's souls. And if we are the light and salt of the earth, Lord, then you have called us to do a mighty work in your name, but not a work that we can do void of your spirit. For your word says it is not by strength nor by power, but by your spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, I'm asking, Lord, that we drown in the Holy Ghost tonight. I'm asking, Lord, that we get burned and baptized in fire, Lord, in your spirit, that we may become the living torches, Lord, the ministers that are a flame of fire unto a God who is a consuming fire. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and you are worthy of all praises. Lord, do these things for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called Another Jesus, Another Gospel, and Another Spirit. Um, because these are the times that, I mean, as I've gone this past month, I mean, I'm seeing deception take a brand new turn. You know, the devil is no longer living on the outside of things. He is all the way in. I mean, he is your brother that sits next to you in church. I mean, he's everywhere. I mean, you can possibly imagine. He's the one that teaches you the gospel, if it be his will, and we don't understand what is really going on in the world concerning this. I mean, I'm just catching it everywhere, and we're going to have a good clip of Derek Prince. Uh, he's got something to say concerning deception, 
Pastor Price has a good video out called The Synagogue of Satan. You know, it just came out not too long ago. But we are recognizing that the devil has learned he's not the big bad wolf on the outside. He's not the guy that's hanging around trying to deter people from church. He is welcoming people into the body of Christ. But it's not the true body. It's the false one that he's introducing people to. He's redefining love. He's redefining just about everything that we can think of. And, I mean, we really got to cling to Jesus Christ and know what this is about. As we had talked about last week or the week before, when we were out there ministering, man, I have never heard so much false doctrine in my life. And But the name Jesus kept coming up. It wasn't like they were saying, I don't believe. We ran into those people that didn't believe. But how many were saying that they did believe only to talk to them and find out, man, you don't know Jesus because you don't have the right doctrine. So what we're going to focus on tonight is his death, burial, and resurrection. I do believe, as I've heard others say, and you know we've taught in here in the past, that you have to believe that Jesus died and he rose again. Right. And you have to believe that he, he rose on the third day and that his work on the cross was finished and complete for our, you know, uh, conforming and changing, you know, to being what he wants. You've got to believe in the Trinity. You've got to believe in three, one God and three persons, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You have to believe that God is male, okay? God is a father because a lot of people have gone sideways with that. We've got to believe that um, he was born of a virgin, and I do believe that that is important because a lot of people, a lot of false religions out there, especially the Black Hebrew Roots Movement, they love to believe that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. They believe that Jesus was uh, Mary and Joseph together, and the Catholic Church deceived people into believing that um, Jesus was born of, of anything other than the flesh because they wanted people to believe that Jesus um, was black. And if you say he was born of a virgin, that means he had nothing to do with the black race. Now, I'm not someone that stands on it. I think that's absolutely crazy, okay, to begin with. But this is how people think. And this is why we can be called unto another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. Because there is nothing more dangerous than the name of Jesus to be used loosely. Because people feel like, okay, if I've said Jesus and I've got Jesus, then I've got the right Jesus. But you don't have the right Jesus. you got to believe all of the above concerning him. There is anything in this book that says anything about Jesus and it holds true, then, then you've got the right gospel. You've got the right Jesus and you will be led by the right spirit. But how awesome our God is that no matter how much those Hebrew roots guys talk their stuff, no matter how much the Roman Catholics talk their stuff, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, you got all these groups out here that are preaching their doctrine. But see, one thing you can't do is fool the Spirit of God because he is the Spirit of truth, as the Bible says. And the Spirit is only going to fall on those who truly believe. And this is God's um, authentic stamp of approval on every believer. And this is what he told us in Mark 16. Those signs would follow them that believe. So if you don't have it yet, then there's something that we're lacking that we're not believing in. But one thing the Holy Ghost is not going to do is, is not rest on anyone who does not preach the true Christ. Now you got the Hebrew roots again. These guys want to talk about the history of man and you know the black man's experience and who are the real Jews and this and that. But not one of them has ever spoken in, in tongues. 
Not one of them ever talks about spiritual warfare. Not one of them has ever cast out demons. Not one of them has ever talked about growing in Christ, in you. That is the hope of glory. They all talk about all this other stuff, so they've got the wrong Jesus. I don't care what his color is. They're wrong. All right? Roman Catholics, they may do um, exorcism where they talk about, you know, agreeing. See, exorcism is not casting out devils. Execute, exorcism is going to a, going into agreement with demons that they may obey just so um, Satan can have more control. Those words and rituals that they say in the Catholic churches, I can tell you now, even John Todd said, they're about 4,000 years old. And that comes straight from witchcraft, straight from Babylon. All those rites that they speak over people, those things go way back. They've got nothing to do with God. Okay, so I mean, even with Jehovah Witnesses, you start talking Jesus Christ in the spirit, and you always, you always notice with false religions, they always knock him down, and they may push up the Father. But Jesus said, if you don't have me, you don't have the Father. So even the Muslims, oh, he was a good prophet, he was a good man, but they never call him God. They never say he's the Son of God, because, because and you got to believe that too. But in order to admit that he is the Son of God, says that he is God. You go to John 5, remember when they said um, Jesus uh, said he was the Son of God? And the Bible makes clear that they refused him because he made himself equal with God. So if you are the Son of God, then you are the embodiment of that thing. Okay, so you are no less God than your Father is by divine nature. Now, Jesus has always said, my Father is greater than I. And we all believe that. But that doesn't make any that doesn't make Jesus any less God than the Father. And that's why it says though in, in Philippians two, though he came as equal with God, he saw him he could have claimed that he was equal with God. He lowered himself and made himself of no reputation. So Jesus is God, folks, and I don't care who believes and who doesn't believe it. You can't be called the everlasting Father, the wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. All these things, Jesus even forgave sin. He didn't say in my Father's name, I forgive you. He forgave sin. People kneeled and bowed down to him, which is something that angels could not do. So Jesus made clear he did not come in his name. He came in his Father's name. But from that point, his Father highly exalted him and gave him dominion over everything in heaven except the Father. So we've got to believe who Jesus Christ is because there are so many false Jesuses out there. And if you want to know who's real and who's fake, all you've got to do is preach the gospel. And you watch the reaction of people. And that will tell you everything that you need to know. Because demons will not allow you to believe that Jesus is God. Right. They will not allow you to believe that Jesus is divine and the Son of God and without sin. They'll always leave something out there. Well, he was a good prophet. They do not want you to know that what Jesus was. So let's get started. Let's go to um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll go there first. But man, when we hear this Derek Prince clip, he's going to lay it all out. That's one thing I love about Derek Prince. He's not the guy that would be loud and screaming, except maybe when he was younger. But the thing is, is that he is so precise to the point that he doesn't have to be, 
into sugar gospel to make a point, but you are going to learn. He's going to teach you the fundamental proofs of everything that you're going to need. And this is what's lacking in a lot of churches. You got a lot of churches will tell you about the love of Jesus, but they don't mention spiritual warfare. They don't mention demons. They don't mention that we've got a real enemy out there. Like so, everyone's invited to church except Jesus Christ. Yeah, seriously. And that's why a lot of people feel like they would have liked Jesus if he were here. You know, people like better that. really think again because Jesus would have been that person invited to your house for dinner and someone would slip up and say the wrong thing and don't think that he's going to spare anyone's feelings there. Don't think Jesus would be that one that would come and say, um, I don't want to offend. Jesus spoke straight out. So if someone said something like, oh, we know that you are a prophet, you know, and you are a good man, and we acknowledge you as a good man being in his house, Jesus probably would have corrected him. I come in my Father's name, and they say he spoke as one having authority. Some people would have considered that rude. You're shouting in my house. Why did you disrespect my mom like that? She was only trying to explain in her own way. Because Jesus is all about correction. He's all about, he only came for one purpose, and that is that we might be like him. So he's got no room for false doctrine. He's got no room for hypocrites. He's got no room for those who want to be on the outside of him. He wants everyone to turn to repentance. So a lot of people think they would have liked Jesus, but I'll tell you, if you don't like those preachers that, that give it to you straight now, there's no way in the world you would accept Jesus because he's going to lay it all out. And this is why people in this day, they were so offended by him. For those who, who wanted him, they were so willing to receive him. They were so ready to just say, okay, you know, well, Lord, show us how we do these. But then you had the religious leaders of that day. He is not going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to believe he's the son of God. And who is he to come here? By what authority when we have the law of Moses? Those are people that refuse to change. They would not acknowledge him even after all he did. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll start at verse 1, and it says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now this is really important what Paul said here because when he talks about being jealous over us with godly jealousy, it's kind of like how any pastor, any bishop, any teacher would feel about the flock. If you have a sense that someone in the group is, or someone in the body may be dealing in false doctrine, you want to tell them this. You don't want them to go astray away from Jesus. You want them to come back on. So you're not going to, well, it's okay what you believe. It's almost personal to you when you're a bishop and when you're somebody, you know, that, that has a seat for teaching or whatever, because you want people saved. That's the only reason you're in it. You're not in it for your own glory. You're in it because you want people to know Jesus. So he says that he's after them with godly jealousy uh, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin. So he wants you to be cleansed. So he's not going to side with anything that is against God. He's going to come right at you. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, uh, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now this is so important here because he made it clear He's fearing something going on with this Corinthian church, with this church at Corinth. He's like, you know, I know I stayed on you. I was jealous over you. I wanted you to have all these things and know all these things. 
but I'm fearing that, you know, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his softness, through his subtlety, you know, through his, what do they call that? His charm. You know, he said that that your mind should be um, corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So this is why when you tell people, I believe Jesus, and they say, oh, well, you don't go to church? Well, you can't believe Jesus then. This is why if you were to tell people that um, homosexuality is wrong and they tell you, you need to love your brother no matter what. We're not talking love here. We're talking about what's right and wrong before God. But see, one of the things that the serpent has used, and Paul is making clear here in verse 3, is that he used his softness. He used his subtlety to get into you. See, if he spoke, and I'm sure that the serpent spoke softer than God. Oh, I'm so certain. There was a guy that we met out there in the street, remember? He said he heard the voice of Satan come unto him when he had given his life to the Lord. And he said the voice was so soft, he said it was almost like it sounded like a woman having sex. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but you got to think about the way that a serpent would speak with that breathing and the tongue sticking out and everything like that. So he's saying that, you know, the, the voice was very soft. And that's one thing you'll find. The devil has learned long ago that he cannot come before you as a fire-breathing dragon. He had to entice Eve with something that she may want. He never just came, oh, well, you believe God? God's a liar. He never came that way. Hey, did God say not to eat of every tree of the garden? Yeah, oh, God does know. He knows that if you ate of this tree, everything will be fine. Your eyes be, you know, and you don't, God doesn't want you to become a God. That's what he's trying to stop you from. So he came with his softness, with his subtlety to try and bait Eve in. He never came directly at her with the truth. So this is what he's talking about here. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with him. So Paul is saying, the way that I'm speaking to you and the way that Jesus Christ came and all that's being taught, if anybody comes teaching you any other trash, okay, that has nothing to do with truth, has nothing to do with salvation, has nothing to do with eternal life, it doesn't matter how sweet and loving they're speaking before you. It does not do anything for you. It can lead you astray. The devil doesn't work in your, he works in your flesh, but mostly in your soul. If he can get you in your emotion. Think about it. When we first heard, because some of us had had friends who were homosexual and things like that. When we first heard that God would send them to hell if they didn't repent. It's no different than any other sin. The thing that struck us most was we know someone that's gay. Think about it. And from there, it was kind of like, yeah, but God should give them a chance, right? Like he, I mean, because they're not bad people. They're, you see, you saw it from a whole different light then. And I'm not talking about them. I'm talking fornication. I'm talking about liars. I'm talking about murderers, whomever. But if you knew someone like that, the thing that we would do is, you know, try and justify it. Because in our carnal nature and in our emotions, it just didn't feel right. Like, like why would you send them to hell? They're, they're good people. But see, that's because you nor I understood what was good. 
God tells you what was what is good and changes our minds and our and our nature that we may see it the way that He sees it. Now we've got no problem hearing about who goes to hell. We just want to be on the right side of things and preach the real gospel to them that they won't go. But at one point, remember how your emotions got entangled? Man, I just can't see God doing this. Mm -hmm. That is because you did not know God. That is because your emotions, you weren't ruled in the spirit. You were ruled in your emotions. So it's easy to get twisted up. So he's saying, if someone preaches another Jesus, man, you've got to know this. If they're preaching another gospel, then you've got to know this. And this comes with the discernment in the spirit. Because the devil will always work in your feelings to make you have a good time. But man, you got to ask yourself, even during uh, and take the guidance of the Lord, is what's being said beneficial to me? Is it scripturally sound? Is it leading me back to Egypt? Or is it taking me into the promised land and away from the world? The real gospel will make you die out, not survive in, the, in your fallen state. Verse 5. For I suppose I was not a whip behind the very chief of the very chiefest apostles, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. I want to make this point again. So right away he talked about in the beginning the serpent was subtle. Paul here is saying, "Hey guys, I know I'm rude in speech because I'm infringing upon your beliefs with the truth." I understand how you feel, but you guys need to know this. This is what is necessary. So he makes the contrast from the subtlety of Satan, which is his softness, his charm, unto the rudeness of speech of Paul delivering the truth. Now you know that all of truth is confrontational. There is no way around it. If you're preaching the gospel, you're going to offend because you're going to preach of sin. But the Lord is also telling us about gentleness. Now, there is a way to be gentle and present the gospel. But I've learned over years that no matter how I present the gospel, some people will be offended. I mean, because you're telling me what the way that I'm living is wrong. Why wouldn't I be offended? I mean, you know, but of course, with the offense, there are some people that will accept Jesus and just say, you know what? You're right. You're right. Well, I want to hear some more. I'm not sure yet. But, you know, you got others that will, hey, man, I don't want to hear that. I don't want anything to do with that. Stay away from me. So there's different reactions that you get. Verse 7. I have committed an offense in abasing myself that I might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service because a lot of people, again, would pay for the gospel when you're delivering it freely. God gave it to you free, you give it to another free. It shouldn't cost a thing. Verse 9, And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which, is, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. So, you know, Paul is like, hey, no one's going to shut me up. I'm believing what I'm preaching concerning the Lord, and I'm going to stand on that. Verse 11, wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. So, of course, he's going to boast about Jesus, not because he doesn't love you. He's telling you what you need to know so that you may receive the love of God. 
So this is all he's telling people. I know you don't like what I'm saying, but in the long run, you'll get it. But I'm not going to stop preaching. And it's not because I don't love you with my rude speech. I am telling you what you need to know that you may live in Christ. All right, verse 12. But what I do that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, uh, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So he's making it clear here, these are not about people pushing people up under false religions. They are using the title of Jesus Christ to have their, their, their needs met. Like, like I said, one thing about the devil, he doesn't play by any rules. If he can't beat you, he will join you only to separate you eventually. Okay, he has already learned if I come up against the Holy Ghost, if I come up against the power of God, I'm going to get steamrolled. So what am I going to do? I'm going to wave a white flag. I'm going to let people know, all right, there's no problem here. I'm going to join the ranks with enthusiasm, and then I'm going to slowly push in my heresy to corrupt the church. The devil has already learned. You stand in front of this church, you are going to get crushed. So he's learned to walk outside of it. So verse 14, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers are also, um, ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So this tells you here that the devil can transform. He already knows he fell as one of the ugliest creations, it says in Isaiah 14. So we know that he is not going to come looking like that. In order to befriend you, I've got to entice you. Like I told you about my friend, um, she told me that her pastor said, you know why I keep my church? Because you've got to learn to bend with the times. That's what Those were his words that he told her. And I said, do you agree with him? And she said, well, absolutely, because a lot of people out there are saying that, you know, um, that they like the old ways and they like the old church and everything. But she said, but, you know, my pastor, I'm not going to say their names, but she says, my pastor says that, you know, if you come in and you learn to adjust with different types of music and whatever people want to bring in, that that's godly. So right away, I can sit here and say, this guy's a false apostle. This guy has to be a false teacher because the gospel doesn't bend for anyone. Okay, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the standard, and everyone else has to come up to that. And I don't care what I may lack concerning the gospel. I am not going to push myself above it or make excuses for me. I need to come up to the terms that Jesus Christ wants me to have. And I'm making no excuses for anybody or myself. Okay, so we can't afford to bend the gospel because a little bending starts to break. And then before you know it, you're not on track at all. All it takes to go off course is an eighth of an inch, or maybe even less. Yeah. You know, if you got the time to sit there and watch a line grow out, but all it takes is a very subtle twist, and as you go farther away, man, you're not in the gospel at all. Yep. You have compromised yourself so much to a point that, man, you don't even know what the gospel is. And see, the, one of the reasons why when the Lord started with me, I did not want to bow down because I knew if I did it once, I'd have to do it twice. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, I would care more about the feelings of the people other than caring what Jesus Christ uh, wanted from me. And that's something that I have to worry about. So I'd rather you get mad at me and walk out 
I'd rather you hate the gospel of Jesus Christ so that way, hey, at least I know I'm on track. For those who will receive it, will receive. But we're not going to coat anything for anyone because people need to know this. Exactly. Let's go to Galatians 1. Matter of fact, Matthew 24. Matthew 24 first. Man, it feels so good when you get to stand for Jesus mm -hmm. and you got people trying to throw you off here and there. Well, didn't you ever sin? Didn't you do this? How long did it take you? Well, why don't you? And I'm like, hey, man, all I know is this. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Okay? And I'm trying every day to live as he lived. Exactly. I could care less about what you're trying to do because people will try and knock you down. Like if you were to say, well, the Bible says... That anyone that sins is of the devil. That says it in John, First uh, John three, that we have to be sanctified and made right. What do some people do? They'll come and tell you, "Oh, well, didn't you sin?" Hey, man, two wrongs don't make a right. Jesus Christ is what is right. So people try and find some old stuff to cancel out what you're saying. It still doesn't matter, regardless of what Jesus Christ is right. All right, so Matthew twenty four and verse one, and it says, "Anyone want to add anything?" Say anything? No. 24 and 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to shew him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So right away you see the disciples are excited about the temple, the new temple that Herod built probably had jewels and gold and everything on it. They're getting excited with a religious work. And I'm not saying the temple wasn't valid. It was up until Jesus died. Okay, but the point is, is that he is taking their minds off of that garbage and right back to what they need to know. Okay, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So right away, they asked Jesus three things. When shall these things be? When should this temple be thrown down, Jesus? Because this is what you said. What shall be the end of the world and the sign of your coming back? The first thing that Jesus says is take heed that no man deceive you because he knew that this would be the biggest threat that we would have to face in the coming days. Like aside from me, I'm going to answer your question. But one thing you need to know is take heed that no man deceives you for many will come in my name saying that I am Christ and shall deceive many. And you've got so many false religions built upon this. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So what Jesus did next was tell them about what they could expect. And as we go through this list of things, you can tell that everything is not peachy. Okay, anybody preaching to you that life is getting better and better and you've got nothing to worry about and all we've got to do is live for today and everything will be sweet, that is not what Jesus Christ has ever preached. All Jesus spoke about was the coming, his coming, and the kingdom of God. 
He never told you to put your stock in here. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures that thieves don't break through and steal. You know, there can't be any place here. Because wherever you have a possession, there is sure to be a thief in this physical world. So he's speaking of eternal life. So then he says, for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now you get people that will say that he was only talking about what would happen to the apostles or what would happen to Israel. They asked Jesus three questions about the sign of his coming. Now obviously he's not coming back yet, but we believe he's coming soon. But as you notice, you got race wars everywhere. Okay, so Jesus is telling people straight up that nation against nation is ethnos against ethnos. That's the Greek word. He said that these things would happen. He said, deliver you up to kill you. Hey, this is going on depending on what country you live in. Okay, because real Christians are being persecuted and beheaded for believing Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is not something made up. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It is funny how he talks about the false prophets. And then he goes into the love of many shall wax cold. If a gospel can get you self-centered, you best believe you will grow cold towards your neighbor. Why? Because who matters most? Me. I. What I want. What I haven't done. What I feel I should have. So if you're worried about you, you're not worried about your brother. So your love will wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, or Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take his things out of his house. Now he said them in Judea, so right away now he's speaking of when this temple will be th thrown down. If anybody wants more understanding of this, go to soundoftrumpetministries.com. Do you remember the teaching we did on the last days where we, where we learned in the book of Josephus that at the time Jesus told the disciples to flee? He said, hey, when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, he said, man, flee into the wilderness. Don't hang around. So when the Roman soldiers were surrounding themselves around Israel, this is biblical proof. This was 69 or 68 to 70, no, I think 63 to 70 AD, because at this point they had dug a trench around um, Israel for all those who wouldn't leave, and they kept food from going in and coming out. But those who obeyed Jesus, they fled when they saw the armies. But remember, Josephus said that day, there were false prophets in the town that were hired by Rome that were telling people, oh man, don't worry about it, just stay. The Lord will deliver us, don't worry about it. But for those who heard the words of Jesus, they took off. But the ones who stayed, I mean, they were in starvation, they were eating each other, one woman was cooking her baby. I mean, they, the, the zealots were fighting against the regular Israelites, killing one another. I mean, it was, it was a miserable thing for those people that stuck around. So he's addressing their issue here. 
Let him which is on the housetop not come down and take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. So you see, Jesus even knew what Josephus was talking about, about that woman cooking her own baby. I mean, I don't want to get into that, but I remember the the, the account of Josephus because he was an Israelite that was taken captive by Rome. But he did say that when the soldiers came in, they were so surprised that it was like horrified. She hid half of the baby to eat again. And when the soldiers saw that, man, they, because first they were like, what are you eating? Because they were coming to get food. But when they saw what she was eating, they were horrified, like, whoa, you know, like they just left, left her to her own. Well, that's not the subject tonight. I'm just bringing up a point. But pray ye that your flight not be in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall a great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world uh, to this time, uh, no, nor even shall be. Uh, let's see. Okay, no shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then, sh then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall shew great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it uh, were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And this is what you're finding in churches like Benny Hinn and Kenneth Hagin. They touch people and people go into this frenzy and they pass out. You know, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy just named Benny Hinn. This guy does a, a supernatural witchcraft act called, um, uh, what is it? Bending? Wind bending? It's called wind bending, but he can raise his hand and knock down 2,000 people in a stadium. They'll just all fall down one to another after holding hands, and he can just raise his hand like that. I mean, you're dealing with high-level witchcraft, but people believe with that that that's an anointing. When really, this guy, Benny Hen is an occultist, and he's been for a long time. But he's masquerading as being Jesus. You know, it's just something to really think about. Let's go to Galatians 1. Sorry. But Jesus had stressed several times here, things are not going to get better. Things are going to get worse. And then what he says most of all is, there will be many coming as false Christ, false prophets, saying that they're in the name of Jesus. Now, you can say what you want about these false Christian churches, but look how many people are in the Mormon organization. Look how many people are Jehovah Witnesses. Look how many people are Catholics. Over a billion people that are, that are under the name of Christ. So you see, atheism and all that stuff it's not really that, it's a big deal, but they're not the ones taking people captive. Eventually, people will come to their senses and recognize, man, this is false. There's got to be something more than this. But those that are using the name of Jesus Christ have the biggest congregations in the world. You going to say something? Oh, I thought you raised your hand. All right, so um, Galatians 1, and we'll start at verse 1. But man, it is out there. And I think one of the biggest biggest deceptions are a lot of the things that are going on in the regular churches. Mm -hmm. Those that are not labeled under anything else except Jesus. Because yep. it's so hard to see anything wrong with some of them. Alright, so it says, uh, Galatians 1 and 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, 
but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are, at, which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be with you in peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. So he didn't say that you can have your best life now. So you know Joe Osteen's doctrine is not the gospel, okay? Because he said that he delivered us, that, I mean, he, he forgave, he gave himself for our sins that we may be delivered from the present evil world, okay? So anything turning you back to that is not the gospel. To whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto uh, uh, the grace of Christ, unto another gospel. So Paul is shocked. Like, guys, I thought we had this figured out. I thought you guys were believers, man. I go somewhere and I come back, and you guys are into another gospel. Now, when we go to Galatians 3, you're going to find out exactly what was wrong with the gospel. All right? But verse 7, and it says, Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So he's making it clear. It's not another gospel. This is not Islam they're being turned on to. This is not all these other things that people would think, oh, well, of course those things are against Jesus Christ. He said that they would just come to pervert the gospel of Christ. We've got to get that settled in because it's not a whole nother gospel. You can just switch things like the virgin birth. You can just switch things about the Trinity. You can just switch things about Jesus, you know, um, not being of sin, or he died on the cross and he remained. He did not raise again. Okay? I mean, you living can... Under, living under the law. Exactly. Mosaic, Look at Easter and Christmas. They went right into the Christian churches. The witches sit back and laugh because they're like, we know what this mess is, so you can't put Jesus' name on this. But if you want to, that's better for us. So you might as well. Because, hey, you're putting yourself under a spell. But if you think that that's got something to do with Jesus, hey, by all means, enjoy. Because we know it doesn't. So they've gone into the Christian churches. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have uh, preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any gospel, any other gospel unto you, than that uh, ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So this is something that we've got to think about, that no matter what we're teaching, no matter what we learn, it's got to be of Christ. If it's not of him, then you only seek to please men. All right, verse um, 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. For what? For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in, in time past uh, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. You know, there's one thing I can say that I wish had happened to me in my life was I wish that I was someone that never knew Jesus up until the time I got saved. And I'll tell you why I say that is because a lot of people like myself that were raised in these churches, 
we take God for granted to a degree that we don't even believe that it's true. But then we find somebody that gets born again and that person catches fire. And you're like, man, what's wrong with you? But that person had heard of Jesus for the first time and got saved and said, hey, man, I'm not messing around with nothing. This is the first time I heard that someone loved me and I want to pursue it. But tradition has a way of making you take it as a joke because, you know, you've seen everyone else do it that way. And then you claim you've known Jesus for a long time because you've gone to church, but you had never sought a relationship with him. So you think that going to church is equivalent to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I thank God that he showed me at some point, hey, man, that's not knowing me. That's just being a part of a church. But I'm saying before Paul did this, Paul was persecuting Christians. But you see what happened when he got saved? Man, it's a whole new ball game. As hard as I work for the devil, I'm going to work for Christ. And even that much harder. I didn't, hey, I didn't hesitate to kill Christians. Now I'm going to spend my whole life to save them in Jesus' name. But I'm just saying, I wish, man, I could have cut a lot of pain and hurt out of my life if I would have met Jesus later than at the time claiming to know him. Because when I claimed to know him, I had no reason to seek him. You know, if, when someone talked to Jesus, oh, yeah, I know him, yeah. And I'm living like a dog, but I know him. You know, but so it's it's deceptive to be in that and to not have a relationship. You know what's going on tonight, so. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the, of the traditions of my father. So you understand here that Paul did what he did because he was into his tradition, into his beliefs. And he said, man, he was overzealous in, in believing what they believed that he thought that this religion was really knowing the true God. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So Paul was talking about his Damascus experience, how the Lord had come to him, changed his life, and made him over. But Paul had spent three years with the Lord in Arabia and other places and then brought him back. But Paul knew the real gospel. For every apostle that was sought, Jesus Christ went after them himself. You're not a part of a tradition. You've got to know Jesus Christ. But he said, anyone that preaches another gospel, let them be accursed for not knowing the one true God. Let's go to um, Galatians 3 right here. And he's going to explain it here where he says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ have been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? So he's asking them, man, how did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive it in religious works or did you receive it through seeking relationship with Jesus Christ? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, uh, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So he's telling them, man, you can't, you can't add anything to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. 
If you receive Jesus and you believe Jesus and you sought him in faith and he baptized you in the spirit or he gave you the spirit, how do we think by keeping and doing other things that that had anything to do with your spiritual walk? Mm -hmm. You received the spirit seeking Christ, not seeking religion, not seeking other things that other people get into. But he's saying, man, if you think that this stuff is valid, and that even includes coming here. That even includes, if you think by coming here that this is how you receive the Spirit, yeah, the gospel might have been preached and you heard and you believed, but I had no part in anybody's salvation other than Jesus Christ preaching the gospel that we may know. Right. So he's saying, man, these guys were turned, saying you got to be circumcised in order to be a real Jew and receive Jesus or uncircumcised. you got to be, keep the Sabbath. You've got to keep the law. You've got to do this, this, and this in order to be with Christ. And you got it from the hearing of faith. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't live a certain way. Of course we should. And we should forsake sin. The point I'm making is, is that you received it from the hearing of faith and not by any works. The Bible makes clear because if we received it by works, he said, lest any man should boast. And this is what you find in Islam. I pray five times a day to the east. Oh, what the Jehovah Witnesses speak? Oh, well, what we believe is, you know, we're, we're 8 million strong now. I told Gary, you know, that was one of the elders in that religion. I said, Gary, if the Bible says that the way and the gate is narrow, then your 8 million does not impress me. And he said, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. But considered being next to the whole world, 8 million is a lot. I said, yeah, but you're an organization. You believe by the organization and by what the Watchtower Track Society tells you that you are going to be saved. Exactly. And there is nothing further than the truth. Exactly. All right. Sorry, guys. I know it's hot, but... Yeah, so... You know, that's just the thing. Is like, we've got to receive Jesus and receive Jesus Christ alone. We've got to know Him. So let's go to 1 Timothy 4. And then from there, I think we're going to hear a short clip of Derek Prince. But man, don't let anybody turn you into another Jesus. The only Jesus that exists is the one who inspired the words on, these, on this page. And I don't care what it sounds like to others. Because I noticed uh, last week that atheist was trying to bait me by trying to compare Jesus or the ways of God to the rest of the world. And, you know, it, it, it's my fault, and I repented of it. I asked the Lord to forgive me, but I should have been hitting him with what the Scripture says and the Scripture says alone. I should have been telling him outright, well, yeah, I hear you, but, you know, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, the natural man can't receive the things of God, neither can he learn them. So it would be foolishness to you, of course, and I understand that, hey, this is how you feel, so be it. But as far as I recognize, as far as trying to match him, as, as far as um, trying to show, and it wasn't trying to show how much I know, I was trying to get to crack the egg, but I was doing it in a way where I wanted him to see Jesus through what I was presenting. Hey, all we got to do is quote the scripture, and if they choose to receive it, they receive it. If they don't, they don't. But if he says, oh, well, I don't get it, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be, um, what's the word? I'm not going to be arrogant. But one thing I am going to say, well, I know you don't understand. Because the Bible says that a natural man cannot understand this. But they need to really understand outright that God's wisdom is above anything in this world. All right, you can't get it. That's fine. But I, I'm letting you know why you can't get it. Your mind can't grasp 
the breathed, spoken, inspired words of the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir. Going back to what we just read in Galatians about did you receive it of the law or of the Spirit, and we could give people truth all the day long, but the Spirit has to break down those walls. That's they right. have to be willing to accept it. And, you know, so, like, you, like it, the Word says, you know, if they're carnally minded, like you're trying to give spiritual food to a carnal-minded person. They have to, re- you know, they have to be willing to accept, and those walls have got to come down because mm-hmm. it's gotta, it, it it breaks their reality and everything that they've known for so long. Whether they were abused or they didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and they became an atheist. Now it's like, oh wait a minute, you know, maybe there's something to this after all. But that's got to penetrate, and the Holy Spirit's the only one that can penetrate. And I could tell there were a few times in our conversation the Holy Ghost picked up in me Mm -hmm. and I was quoting scripture to him straight out, you know, letting him know, but I didn't stay there. And I could feel like my fire was starting to burn. But I did notice whenever I was preaching, I don't know if you guys remember that when I was preaching, he was, Mm -hmm. you know, like he was trying to get it. But then I went right back down to where I was trying to talk to him about science. Hey, look, you don't want to believe it. You don't have to. But one thing we need to do is preach the gospel. We can't let people take us off course because I realized at the end of all of that, what was most effective was me preaching the gospel. When I started going into my, you know, how much I know concerning the scripture and the the age of the Bible and the history, you don't need to do all of that. So I asked the Lord to forgive me because he showed me, hey, man, all you've got to do is preach this. And if no one wants to receive it, that's on you. But see, we can use the wisdom of God to debunk what they're saying. Right. So when he talks about this again, because I know we're going to see him tomorrow. I'm, hey, man, look, the natural man just can't receive it. I don't, I'm sorry to tell you. I get what you're saying. But the Bible makes clear that there is world wisdom and there is God's wisdom. You're not going to get it. It is considered foolishness to you because your mind is carnal. Now, I'm not trying to insult him. I'm laying out the gospel as it is. Exactly. And we have to accept it as that. But as long as they can debate with you, they feel like they've got something. If you're like, hey, man, believe what you want. But see, the natural man can't receive God. That's all it is. And then let them walk away wondering. Don't waste your energy burning up because, you know, while I spent time with him, there were a lot of people walking by that I could have talked to that would have received it. That's why Jesus tells us not to waste your time with this. Move on. Don't stay there. All right, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. And in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So we understand here, now the Spirit, that's a capital S, the Holy Ghost is speaking expressly that in the last days, I believe we are in those latter times, that some will depart from the faith, meaning that they had to be of the faith. We can't assume that, oh, that person never believed. No, that person believed, but right away, he doesn't go into another gospel, he goes into seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Something to entice you, something to make you say, you know, other people preach hate, you preach love. And this is what I just need to feel love, because I believe that God is love. God is love. But you know what? If we're talking Jesus Christ, nobody has to remind you about love in here. 
No one has to tell you about love. I've recognized many times when people have to, to remind you that it needs to be done in love. That's for their security. That's not for yours. If we're talking Jesus Christ, we're talking the gospel, we're talking love. That word for love is agape, charity, selflessness. Do you love them enough to tell them the truth? Are you compassionate in them enough that you might have to get into conflict for this person that they might get saved? So don't let people pull you up under that love stuff because I'm recognizing it's not love that they're seeking. Those people are seeking their own comfort. All right? What you're saying is getting a little scary. So now I need you to preach love. I need to remind you, no, but we need to do it in love. What do you think the gospel is? What do you think preaching of Jesus Christ is? Exactly. That is love. Yep. But see, a lot of people want to feel love other than to show love. All right, because to perform the love that God wants us to have, we've got to do what Jesus Christ did. But I mean, I'm not trying to make, I know the Lord's thoughts towards us are more than the sands of the sea. But the point I'm making is, is this. Have you ever seen Jesus? The Bible says he was moved with compassion and he did. He, he performed the miracle. He cast out a devil. He preached the gospel. All those things out of love. But you didn't see him hugging and touching and caressing, you know, anybody. Because that wasn't getting the job done. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. No greater love than these that a man lay down his life for his friends. All right? We want to talk love. Let's get into love. Because if we can't talk that, then I doubt you highly love like we say we do. We have to love the brethren enough to tell them the truth. All right, so this is... Can you just add something yeah, yeah. on that? Um, also, you know, the scripture that says what comes out of your heart, the mouth speaks. Abundance of the heart, the mouth really speaks. love the way God wants you, unconditional love, you're going to speak the gospel, and those words are love, which Amen. is the truth. Amen. All right, verse 2. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And I think that this, you know, I've read over this many times, but I feel like I'm being shown something here. Speak lies and hypocrisy is kind of like, and it's a conscience being seared. That means that you can fall so in love with these seducing spirits that when the real gospel comes, that's not God. Because I know how I feel when people preach to me. Your conscience is seared. Because you think that, you know, anybody that raises their voice is not preaching the truth. But you have already been conditioned and programmed. Mm -hmm. I know what love feels like. I know when the pastor speaks and he says love five times. I just feel like the tingle go through me. That's soul power. That doesn't necessarily mean the Holy Ghost. When you feel like that can go going through you, you can get the same thing like Pastor Price has said for years at a Luther Vandross concert. You can get the same thing at a Whitney Houston concert or whomever. They start singing, whoa, you know, and women, ah, going crazy. But they say, man, I can feel the love. I fall out and everything else. But you see, that's soul power. But the spirit is going to hit you where you need it. But people want to feel love other than, you know, know what it is. So anyways, you know, conscience is seared with a hot iron, but... You know, it just makes clear here in the latter days that people will, you know, depart from the faith because they're hearing something soft, sweet, and it's the doctrines of demons. All right. So from here, one other thing, and then I am going to get into Derek Prince. I know I said that, but let me go into, uh, let's go to Second Peter chapter 2.
That's why next week when we do this teaching on the Antichrist, we're going to have a full study on the Antichrist and his spirit. And, you know, what people need to realize is if you met the Antichrist and you are soulish or you are sensual, you will like him more than Jesus. Yep. Don't think that you won't. He will come as your best friend. He is going to tell you everything positive, And then he's going to turn to Jesus and say, so you see that loud mouth guy over there that just don't seem like he cares about nothing. He just speaking, just telling everybody right and wrong. See, I don't mind you being how you are because I care for you. All right. And if I love you, I don't want you to change a thing about you. But he's talking change. And you see, he doesn't care. He just says what he wants to say. And I'm, I'm sure you were hurt by what he said. But I love you. And we need to love one another. And don't let anybody, and then they grab you. You know how they grab me in a positive talk. And listen, don't you let anybody's opinion of you be your opinion of yourself. You are perfect the way you are. Now, people of the world, you watch. They'd be, nah, you're right. Because, I mean, I've been beat down all my life. But And see, the same guy beating you down all your life is the same guy here telling you, look, I love you. You need to forsake him. Jesus is coming, man, telling you the truth. But if you are sensual, you will love the Antichrist more than Jesus. Don't think that you won't. All right, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Among there were false apostles. I mean, but there were false apostles, false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers, among whom shall privily, among who, among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, to bring unto themselves, I mean, to bring upon themselves swift destruction. So what we recognize here is there are people that will bring in damnable heresies. Heresies are like things that are, you know, chopped up. You may get some truth, but they're going to take a twist, a turn here or there. Damnable, I mean, that's pretty much talking about your salvation. And you see why the Hebrew Israelites were able to entice people into believing that Jesus was not born of a virgin is because they got into the subject of race. Black people have been beat down all their lives. They've been slaves. They had all this racism and things done to them. And now all of a sudden you hear that you may be somebody, you know, so you got to understand, brother, what's going on. The white man is trying to tell you that, you know, Jesus was this and that. But see, really, brother, because they said that his legs were, um, what was it? His feet were like a fine brass as burned in the furnace. So you see, brother, that's black people. See, Jesus was one of us, and they don't want you to know it. See, so that's seducing. Because if you're black and you're not born again, and you really think that your race means something, the devil can pull that into your pride. Yeah, you know, because we, we have been beat down. We need to stand for rights. So they're not standing for Jesus. They're standing for their race. So these are those damnable heresies that can come in and tell people things to seduce them. And that's why Jesus said, the ruler of this world comes and he has nothing in me. The devil tried to tempt Jesus. He couldn't do it. So he got mad and left him for a season. If we cling to Jesus Christ outside of anything, false doctrine can't grab you. Guys, I'll make it real simple for you. You want to know what false doctrine is? All you got to do is ask yourself these things while teachings are being taught. Is it turning me to Christ or to myself or to my feelings? Okay? That's all you got to do. 
Because anything that turns you onto you and puffs you with pride and makes you feel super special. And there's nothing wrong with being a child of God. We should feel good. But we know that it is Christ in us is why we are children of God. But anything that goes someplace else, I don't care if they're talking, man, you can have a good career. You can have a great life. You can have all this, man. And, you know, there's not, the Bible talks about how a husband should treat his wife. But if that's your gospel, if you're preaching people the word of faith movement, talking about what, how much money they can make and all they can have, all it's going to do is keep you here and keep you here-minded. Okay, it's going to keep you world-minded. That's all you need to know is what is false. Now, can God bless? Absolutely. But what did he tell us? First seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay, now if it's not added unto you in this life, who cares? You are rich in Jesus Christ, and that is all you need to know. All right, so if you want to know what is what, all you've got to do is ask yourself this. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. He never preached about enjoying your life here. So from here, we're going to hear a quick clip of Derek Prince. I think this is a really good uh, message. Because you know he's going to give us the meat. I love Derek Prince. That's, that's delusional. I believe it's true. That's bad, man, when you walk around in this, this cloak of maliciousness. This evil... believe it's true and valid. But it's just self-deception. So he says, take heed, be careful, look out, that no man deceive you. How do you get deceived? When you're into yourself, when you haven't committed your way to the Lord, when you're dependent on your own mind, your own senses, when you depend on education, your religious background, when you depend on memberships in relig religious organizations. When you trust in the armor flesh, flesh to lead you, you believe people can lead you and they know the way. All of these are avenues to deception. When you've got a hidden agenda that you really want something other than Jesus, the, the, the prosperity doctrine deception is bathed in you can get something out of it. You give to get back. That's a doorway to deception. You didn't come for Jesus and you didn't come to submit and commit your way to him. I came to see what he can give me because I'm still really into me. Deception comes in a lot of varied ways and varied forms. So now listen to Derek Prince here teach a good message on deception before we get into the synagogue of Satan message and so show you how the synagogue of Satan is built on the back of people who are in church, religious, committed to their religion, and just sold out to it, believing this ballot. And so when Jesus comes around, he makes them sick to their stomachs. They can't stand it. Because Jesus does not sign off on our religion. Jesus must be taken as he is, with no pre-formatted thinking about him, no preconceived notions. I got to take him like I found him, or I'll leave him like he is because he's not going to change. So that's the avenue of deception. When I'm self-centered, self-focused, man, I'm a candidate for deception. So we're going to see how this thing works. And so we'll listen to Derek Prince first and then get into the synagogue of Satan message. Speak on religious deception. I suppose that for every one person whom the devil deceives by atheism, 
there must be at least a thousand persons in hell whom he deceives by religion. Atheism really has very little power to deceive people for any length of time. It is too obviously false to be acceptable for more than a brief generation or two. But false religion has deceived humanity down the ages, century by century, in untold numbers. And this situation has not changed today. The Bible warns us very clearly that at the close of this age, in the period in which we are obviously living tonight, the deceptions of religion are going to increase on in a remarkable measure. And those that believe are going to be subjected to every kind of pressure to seduce them from their true faith. In many of the prophetic discourses and revelations of the scripture concerning these last days, we are warned again and again against false Christs, false prophets, and deceiving spirits. And everything that we see in the United States tonight is an illustration and confirmation of the accuracy of these warnings. There are two main forms of deception that I want to deal with tonight. The first is what I would call departures from Christianity. That is deceptions which have claim to have their origin in Christianity and lay claim, lay often lay claim to the title of Christian. The second kind of deception are those forms of religion or spiritual activity which they lay no claim to be Christian. We will try tonight to cover both of these. I trust you'll be able to listen attentively. This is essentially a teaching message, not an evangelistic message, and it will require your close attention. Let us deal, first of all, with what I would call departures from Christianity, and I will take my opening text from the first epistle of Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. Well, we will not ration ourselves. We'll read 4 and 5 as well. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, more correctly demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding, commanding to abstain from meats, foods, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Turning to the first verse, the Spirit declares expressly in direct language that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Now the faith in this context means the Christian faith. And you cannot depart from the Christian faith if you've never been in the Christian faith. Just as obviously as you cannot depart from evangelistic temple tonight if you've never been in evangelistic temple. So this refer refers directly and obviously to people who have been in the Christian faith. But in the latter times there will be many pressures upon the, such people as you and I tonight to depart from the Christian faith. And this activity is traced directly to evil spirits or demons. They are called seducing spirits and the teachings that they bring forth are called doctrines of demons. Now the word seduce has a slightly sexual connotation in ordinary English. It means to seduce possibly a wife from her loyalty to her husband and have vows that were made when she was married and so on. And uh, this is true in the spiritual realm. The supreme object of these seducing spirits is to win Christians away, to entice Christians away from their loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ 
as Savior and Lord and head over all things to the church, which is his body. And this is the, the, the basic thrust of these demonic religious forces is to get you away from total commitment and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the teaching of the Word of God. Verse 2 says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That does not refer to the persons. The Greek construction makes it plain. It describes the demons. It's no good appealing to a demon's conscience because the demon no longer has a conscience. And it's no good expecting to get the truth out of demons because they speak lies in hypocrisy. Now, the other great passage which deals with the deceptions that will come in the church is found in the second epistle of Peter in the second chapter. Second Peter chapter 2, and we will read verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, we need to get this in its context. The last verse of the previous chapter says this, For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is how the prophets of God gave forth their prophecies in the Old Testament. Holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost. But then Peter goes on at the beginning of the next chapter to warn us that there were also false prophets amongst Israel. And if you read the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, particularly you'll find that there were many false prophets and they had a tremendous and evil influence. And in the same context, Peter warns us that as there were false prophets under Israel in the Old Covenant, there will be false teachers in the church in the New Covenant. Now, if there were no false teachers in the church, we would have to say the Bible is an unreliable book. So the fact that there are false teachers does not invalidate the Bible, it confirms it, because it said it would be so. But it causes us to search ourselves and see whether we are being deceived. Now I'll read these words, and then I'll pick out what to me are the salient features of them. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious or destructive ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Paul Peter says therefore very clearly, there shall be false teachers among the Christians. And this is what they will do. They will privily and in modern English, that means in a sneaky, underhand way, bring in heresies that bring damnation. Now, it's important to understand the meaning of the word heresy. The word heresy is directly derived from the Greek verb to choose. And heresy is not rejecting Scripture totally. It is choosing how much of Scripture you will believe. That is the nature of heresy. No heresy that rejected all scripture would ever deceive any Christian. What is deceptive are those presentations that claim to believe scripture but reject certain portions of it. And those are heresies. Now this scripture here speaks about heresies that are damnable. They bring damnation. They cost those who go in for them the salvation of their souls. These heresies are brought in privily. A very clear example of this uh, occurred in Canada about the beginning of the 1960s when a certain denomination, which is a combination of two other denominations, the leaders decided to revise the Sunday school curriculum. And these people that assigned themselves this task were what we would call liberals or modernists. 
and they brought it out in a very subtle way. It wasn't put in the form of direct denials of scripture, but rather in the form of questions. Questions such as, is it necessary to believe the virgin birth? Is it necessary to believe the deity of Jesus Christ? Is it necessary to believe the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? You see, this has always been Satan's tactic from Genesis chapter 3, verse onwards. When he deceived Eve into believing his lie, he did not immediately present the lie. He began by asking the question, Yea, hath God said? In other words, is it really necessary to believe? When Eve entertained his question, then he followed up with the direct denial of what God had said. For he said, Ye shall not surely die. And God had said, Ye shall surely die. But he did not come out with the denial until he had first got Eve hooked with the question. And in my judgment of the situation, as soon as Eve began to entertain the serpent's question, she was as good as out of the garden already. Now it is precisely the same way that the devil operates in the Christian church today. He does not begin by direct denial of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. He begins by calling them in question. Is it necessary to believe? Do we really have to believe? But when we entertain his questions, we're just as surely out of the faith as Eve was out of the garden. So this denomination, its leaders, without telling anybody what they were doing or advertising their intentions, brought out this new Sunday school material and circulated it through the denomination. And those people in that denomination were so sleepy and so lacking in any kind of intelligence that they didn't even realize what was happening. And the astonishing and shocking thing is that it required the public secular press in Canada to ferret out the truth and bring it out on the front pages. And the press came out, if you please, the secular press, with a question about the kind of material that was being taught in this particular denomination. But there is a clear example of why the Bible says privily shall bring in damnable heresies. They do it in a sneaky, underhand way. They don't stand up and tell you, now we're going to deny everything for which Christianity really stands, but they begin to appeal to your sense of intellectual honesty. Do you think, as an up-to-date man living in the 20th century, that we can really accept the old-fashioned viewpoint and so on and so forth? Well, personally, I still believe the Lord Jesus knew what he was talking about. That's my personal conviction. I, if I had to choose between him and any modern professor of theology or psychiatrist, I'd go to Jesus for the truth. There was a bishop in the Anglican Church in England who wrote a book called Honest to God. The theme being that let's be honest about our doubts. We really don't believe these things. Let's stop pretending to believe them. Well, I was trained to believe in intellectual honesty, and I respect intellectual honesty. But my criticism of such presentations is that they're only halfway honest. They're honest about their doubts and what they don't believe, but they're not honest about the results of denying these things. If you deny the virgin birth, if you deny the record of creation, if you deny the reality of hell's judgment, what does it make Jesus? Because there's no doubt whatever that Jesus believed and taught all those things. The only logical conclusion you can come to in relation to Jesus is this. Either he was deceived or he was a deceiver. And if we're going to be intellectually honest, let's go all the way with it. Let's come out with the full implications of our doubts. Let's be honest all the way. But to me, this half-baked intellectual honesty that's honest about doubts, but not honest about the conclusions from those doubts, is actually just exactly what's described here. It's privy. It's sneaky. It's underhand. It's deceptive. 
However, it says in the second verse that many shall follow their pernicious ways. They're going to deceive many people. And as a result of this, reproach will be brought upon the actual way of truth. Christianity will be uh, misrepresented in the eyes of the world through these false teachers. We've got to expect all this to happen, and it is happening. However, the very center of these heresies is found in that phrase, denying the Lord that bought them. And the essence of every damnable heresy is that it denies the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. And any teaching that touches or undermines or denies any of these aspects of Scripture's truth is a damnable heresy. And I will tell you what I believe. I believe that Jesus is divine. He is God. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe he led a sinless life. I believe he died an atoning death as the substitute for the sins of the human race. I believe that he rose physically from the dead the third day. I believe that he ascended physically into heaven. And I believe that he's coming again in like manner as he was seen to go. And I would say myself that any teaching that touches or undermines or denies any of those truths is a damnable heresy. And personally, people may consider my views old-fashioned, but as it stands now, I don't feel a little bit less intelligent than people who don't believe the way I do. I may be wrong, but I don't feel I have to apologize intellectually for my beliefs. I think they're logical, clear, and intelligent. And down through the course of ages, a lot of intelligent men have believed the way that I believe and done a lot of good in the world by their believing too. Let me point out one other typical form of problem that is liable to come in this connection. If you turn to the 20th chapter of Acts for a moment, and I mentioned this briefly when I was speaking at the full Gospel Businessmen's Convention the closing evening. Acts, the 20th chapter. The last words of the Apostle Paul to the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts 20, verses 28 through 32. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone of night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Notice the Apostle Paul was speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, men whom he knew, whom he loved, and whom he had probably appointed to that position. And yet he's got some very serious things to tell them as he takes his farewell. He says in verse 29, I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now the wolf is a type of the false prophet. For Jesus said in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing who are false prophets. You see, the sheep is the picture of the Christian disciple. The wolf is the natural enemy of the sheep. In order to get amongst the flock of sheep undetected, the wolf is attired in a sheepskin. And as I pointed out, the person who looks merely with his eyes or judges merely by his ears is liable to be deceived by the wolf under the sheepskin. But there's one creature there on the scene which is not deceived, and that's the sheepdog. 
because it doesn't look with its eyes, it doesn't judge by its eyes, and it doesn't judge by its ears. It's got another scent, the scent of smell, which tells it very clearly that that thing with the sheepskin on top is a wolf, and its job is to bark. And that is the job of the Christian ministry when the sheep, when the wolf comes in sheep's clothing. Isaiah 56, God says of the shepherds of Israel in his day, they are all dumb dogs that cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. And the man who's placed in a position of responsibility for the flock of the Lord, if he allows the wolf to come in sheep's clothing and does not bark, is nothing better than a dumb dog that cannot bark, lying down, sleeping, loving to slumber. And there are a lot of dumb dogs in some churches today. Now, the, the wolf comes from without, very deceptive. They use honey language. They talk ever so sweetly about love till it drips like syrup from their lips and their wolves. When a person can talk about nothing but love, I've come to that place in my experience where I say, what's wrong with their doctrine or what's wrong with their life? There must be something wrong. You say, what's wrong with love? Love is wonderful, but friends, it's much better to act it than preach about it. The people that preach about it and nothing else are dangerous. God is a God of love, but he's a God of judgment too. And any kind of love that obliterates the truth of God's judgment is a satanic deception. Then Paul goes on to warn them of another problem, which is even more serious. In the 30th verse, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples of them. Also out of the very group of elders whom Paul had appointed, he said, some of you will arise and present twisted teachings. With what object? To draw away disciples after themselves. Now here is a deadly kind of motivation. When teachers and preachers and prophets and prophetesses want to get people following themselves. This is satanic. Every true minister and servant of Jesus Christ and of the word has one supreme object. To get people absorbed in the Lord, not in the preacher or the prophet or the teacher. But there are today multitudes, and they're mainly women, I'll have to say and they are what I would call self-styled prophetesses, walking and running around to these small home premiums, moving in with a higher light and a deeper truth and scooping them up and getting them revolving around themselves. As for me, my sentiments are these. God, keep me from the higher light and the deeper truth. Keep me on the plain, simple, practical pathway of faith and obedience. That's good enough for me. But there are multitudes of such people. And if you ever have in your life someone who by some form of spiritual power is getting you entangled with herself or himself, cut it off right there. It is not the Spirit of God. I'll tell you what spirit it is in a few moments when we're coming to that. Now that is all I can say at this time about departures from Christianity except to invite you to consider many forms of fashionable religion today which come under this heading, in that they deny some great central truth about Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Test them. I could give you a list of errors, but if I nailed every error here tonight, there'd be a dozen more tomorrow. Let me suggest something else to you. The remedy for error is not to expose error, it's to present truth. 
Do not get absorbed in running after errors. Don't fill your house with books on errors just to be able to convince people that come along that they are errors because you get hooked. It says in the fifth book of Proverbs about the ways of a strange woman, they are movable. Don't seek to know them. An error is a strange woman. And if you seek to know her ways, you'll never do it. They're movable. She changes from day to day. But if you know the truth, the truth will always expose errors. Do not get wrapped up in studying the Book of Mormon or Edgar Cayce or Jean Dixon or Christian Science or something like that just to be able to meet Christian scientists because it doesn't work. What you need to know is the truth. And I've had to deliver people from demons that came upon them through studying these errors, not because they were seeking error, but because they just wanted to be able to answer people that were in error. Okay, now we will turn to the other type of deception, which is the non... All right, so, yeah, that was Derek Prince talking about what deception is, you know, and I can tell you firsthand for me, like, when a lot of the false doctrines were, were presented to me and I spoke to people about them, it was always because someone had brought it to me. I didn't go studying, like trying to get the information. Someone had brought it to me and I'm like, oh, that's what you're into? Let me look this up. And then when I look it up, oh, that's an error. But you first have to know the word of God, like he's saying, before you decide to go anywhere because you may end up believing what someone else is teaching you. So the thing is, is you first got to get grounded in the word before you decide to even look at anything that someone's saying. Right. Before I, when I went to go sit in that Jehovah Witness um, Kingdom Hall, when I was invited, it was because I already knew they were false. You know, and I knew everything about their doctrine. And when I sat there, they confirmed it. What did they do? They prayed uh, Michael, Jah, Jehovah, you know, whatever, whatever. They prayed like all these different names and stuff like that. And I noticed my battery, man, was like zipping down to nothing. But that's another teaching. But the point is, is that you've got to know what scripture is. You know, I mean, to know what you're going against. Because as long as you're out there, like the Bible says, tossed to, blown around in the wind, you don't want that. You want to be grounded in Christ. Because I'm telling you, what's stopping a lot of people's growth is what's true. What is, well... That sounds right, but then this sounds right. You gotta know this word for yourself and be grounded in Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, here reveal all the errors. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter five. I'm gonna start at verse one. But you know, Derek Prince touched on every single part of what this whole thing is about. I often wondered too, when I heard people preach about love all the time. I often wondered, was there something wrong with me? Because I'm like, man, why does it bother me so much? And then the Lord later revealed, because that's not my kind of love. These people are leaving out so much truth, but all they're talking about is loving and feeling and caressing and, you know, how much the Lord loves you. What about how much we love him? Right. You know, do we love him enough to do what he says? But see, the devil can get you self-centered. Man, forget it. This sounds right. I need to know how he feels about me. Read this book. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Right. And true love is isn't self-centered. It's giving to others just how, you know, God the Father gave his son. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and that's how it is. God loves and he gives. He doesn't love and entice. He doesn't love and, you know, stays out of the conflict while you deal with it. That's not the God we serve. All right, so Jeremiah 5 and verse 1, and it says, 
run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know and seek in the broad places thereof, if ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. So you see, the gospel is no different today than it was then. How the Lord wants us to go and find people that are ready for this marriage supper. So God won't judge. Before God, the only thing stopping God from judging this world is, yes, more things have to happen. But God has his church and he wants more people to come to him. He wants more people to get to know Jesus Christ before he closes the show. But that's the only reason. It's the Christians that are, that are holding this thing up because we want people to get in. And God is like, yeah, I'm giving time that people may come in. But if God knew everyone that was going to be saved and everyone that wasn't going to be saved, and all, well, he does know. But for, if, if that were to stop right now, God would close the show because there's no reason to go further if you aren't giving more people the chance. So we're in a grace period. Verse 2, and though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have, they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. So this understands where the Lord is preaching the gospel, the same thing you get today. You try and tell people about the Lord, and people turn hard on you. I don't want correction. I do not want Jesus Christ ruling over me. So God is looking for the, he's telling Jeremiah, find the righteous men here and I'll pardon the city. But for everyone he's preaching to, people are getting stiff and getting hard. Verse four, therefore I say, surely these are poor. They are foolish for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me into the great men, unto the great men, and um, will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. And these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. So he's understanding for those great men that actually want the Lord, they have severed their bonds and broken the yoke of everything else that's surrounded them, whether it's false religion, whether it's the world, whether it's the flesh, whatever it is, these people have broken their bonds. Verse 6. Wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the, um, of the evenings shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. Every one that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces, because their transgressions are many, and their backslidings are increased. So forgive me concerning this. I spoke wrongly of four. This is talking about, um, you know, um, he's talking about the righteous. I was right about that, that know the ways of the Lord. But he's talking about the others that have broken their yoke from being under God's guidance, that those people will judge. So he's speaking of two people here. There are those that know the Lord, and then there are others that have, I know who he is, but I don't want anything to do with him. So they have forsaken their tradition. They have forsaken the Lord and his ways, and he's saying they will judge. Now, first he spoke of a lion, then he spoke of a leopard. Now, remember, right after Jeremiah's time came Babylon to um, enslave Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, Babylon is known as the lion. After that came what? Greece, which was Alexander the Great, right? His group. And then you have, you know, the bear or whatever. But he's speaking of this long before Daniel did about what would besiege them because they refused to be up under the Lord. Mm -hmm. So he says their backslidings are increased. 
How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me and sworn by them that are no gods. When I had fed them uh, to the full, they have committed adultery and, and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's houses. So he's calling them harlot's houses. He's saying that for these people that he tried to assemble together, they would rather be elsewhere than be with the Lord. All right. And he said that they would swear by them that are no gods. That would be every false religion. We go to Psalm 96 and 4. The Bible makes clear that the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. And he says that the other gods are idols and they, um, you know, they're, they're idols. They're not God like he is. All right. So verse um, 8. Uh, they were as fed horses in the morning. Every one neighed after, um, his after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? And shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Go ye up upon her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away her uh, battlements, uh, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, saith the Lord. So these people have gone into everything except God. They've, they've, remember, they made groves, the naked women. They have prophesied. They worshiped Baal. They, were, um, they had built these houses of the Sodomites where lots of homosexual activity and, and, you know, other things were going on. You know, and they built idols to their gods. They have bellied the Lord. They have belied the Lord and said, it is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we, neither shall see sword nor famine. So while Jeremiah was out there preaching, it's a natural thing for sinners to deny what the word of God says. And this is why we've got to constantly keep going. God will say he's going to judge this world. Jesus says he's coming back. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. You tell people in the world and their whole mindset, is, yeah, right. Ain't nothing going to happen. Yeah, we've been through all this before. Even when you tell people that were born in the 50s and 40s and things like that about this, this economy is about to collapse. And hey, man, it's real this time because they got everything in place. This is not the Great Depression. They didn't have the technology in the Great Depression. But this is it. When they do this, this is going to be a game changer. And you'll have people from those days saying, oh, man, we've been through the Depression. All this stuff has happened. This country will rebuild and be as it was. And they don't know that that's not the case. 13. And the prophet shall become wind, and the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. So he's talking here about the prophets being false. They're going to become as wind. They're going to be all over the place with false doctrine, and they are going to get what they deserve. Verse 14. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because ye speak uh, this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandeth what they say. So he made it clear. Remember Deuteronomy 28, even though that's talking about the prophecies, but he told them if you would not hearken unto the Lord, that you would go and serve your enemies. Right. So what ended up happening is, False doctrine comes in, people forget about the God, their God, and now you're going to serve your enemies. All right, verse um, 16. 
They quiver as an open sepulcher. They are almighty men, and they shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which thy sons and thy daughters should eat. They shall eat up their, of thy flocks and thy herds. Uh, they shall eat up thy vines and thy fig trees. They shall impoverish thy fenced cities, uh, wherein thou, thou trusteth with the sword. Nevertheless, in those days, saith the Lord, I will not make a full end with you. And it shall come to pass when ye shall say, Wherefore doeth the Lord our God all these things unto us? Then shalt thou answer them, Like as ye have forsaken me and served strange gods in your land, so shall ye serve strangers in a land that is not yours. So he says when people try and come to God and blame him, why are you doing this to us? Why is this happening? He said, wait a minute, you guys first did it to me. You wanted their gods. Now you are going to meet the people of, who, of whose gods you serve. And you're going to find out they're nothing like me. All right, so verse uh, 20. Declare this in the house of Jacob and uh, publish in the Judah. In, it in Judah saying, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes to see, and which have ears to which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will I not tremble? Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass, and though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Uh, thou they roar yet, can they not pass over it? So he's saying with this judgment he's going to put on them, there's no going around it. But this people have a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us an appointed weeks of the harvest. So these people will harden themselves, turn against real doctrine. I've seen this in a lot of churches. I've gone to tell people about the Lord, and you would think that you're going to be well-received because, after all, they're believers too. But what ends up happening is they rebel against you because their God is not the God of the Bible. All right, 25, your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholding good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and waxing rich. If this isn't the modern church today, you tell me. He said that these people would reject the truth. And they are among his people wicked men. They lay in wait. They set snares. They set a trap and they catch men. They said, as a cage full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. And what are they becoming? Rich. You got a lot of pastors that even know there is no New Testament tithe. There's nothing wrong with offering, okay, if you want to offer to a church. But you are not commanded to give. The Bible makes clear that you are not to give grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. But if you got people pushing doctrine and quoting Jeremiah 3, I mean, Malachi 10, you know, and, and telling you that, you know, this is um, what you're supposed to do and God will bless you, they're wrong. 
Okay, because the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. So these people are full of deceit. They only want people to become members of their church so they can get more green. Okay, that's what a lot of them look for. And a lot of these people, these churches are already being supplied by, um, you know, by these organizations, by Freemasonry, by other things. So when you see them giving out bread and food and all that stuff, that is stuff given by the government or, or the organization that they're a part of to make it seem righteous. Al Capone did the same thing. Al Capone ran what? Bootlegging, murder, everything else. But during Christmas time, or during, you know, when things happen, well, let me build these soup kitchens so people can see that I'm a good guy. So they're really like benevolent benefactors, you know? They're just looking for their own way. So we can see, man, he's putting a lot of money in the church. Look at these food banks they open. They didn't open those food banks. Those food banks are open. Those are supplies that they can continue to get the green and appear righteous before men. That's what I'm not going to say in every situation, but I know in many of them that is going on. That food was already going to be given to them. All right, verse 29, and it's uh, verse 28, and it says, They are waxen fat, they shine, yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked, they judge not the cause, they judge, I mean, and cause the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper in the right of the needy, do they not judge. So you see, what would be going on here is there won't be a lot of preaching of sin. They may tell you about hell. They may tell you about the Lord wants us to live right. But they don't dive deep into the things that they know would offend people because it is not beneficial for me for you to be offended and not come back. Okay, so they are really out for what they can get from you and not you. Shall I not visit these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule of their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will they do in the end thereof? So you see, he's making it clear that they would love to have it so. This is why a lot of people are happy in their slavery. This is why when people are told, hey man, there's no New Testament tithe, or you say, hey, man, your pastor's running a fast one on you. There is no seed of faith, you know, offering. There is no seed faith offering. There is no prosperity doctrine. They get angry with you, and they are happy to be taken advantage of because whores love their pimps. These people have been brainwashed into believing this is the church, and no matter what the pastor says up there, it's got to be righteous. But they're not believing that, man, Satan has his ministers in the church. So this is also another Jesus. Because you named one time that Jesus talked about this. This is another gospel. Jesus says, set your affections on high. This is another spirit. Because the Holy Ghost is not surrounded by greed. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. They are deceiving people. And that's why we're going to do a study on what the true church of God is. I think it's time for that. Oh, yeah. Because you got, we might have talked about it before, but what's deceiving a lot of people is they look at a religious building and they say, God has got to be in here. Found. Yeah, you see how the disciples left Jesus. Yeah. You know, the ones that were supposed to be with him. He started preaching relationship with him. And what happened? They hit the door. They said many of them walked away and walked no more with him. John 6. John 6. 66. 
66, yep. Alright, so 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll start at verse uh, 3. And it says, If any man... Uh, i got to go to verse... i got to start at verse 1, sorry. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So why would the master or the, you know, those who are in charge be of honor? Because they would be preaching the gospel of God. So that's why it says, so God be not blasphemed, that we should show honor to people that are employing us. But it's not to have our values messed with. It is only to show respect due to those who deserve it. Yep. And they that have a believing masters. So you see, the first masters are unbelieving. But he's saying, you know, still love your neighbor. Okay, like if they're doing something or whatever, okay, I work for the devil, you know, education system or whatever. Okay, but still, I'm going to be there on time. I'm going to do what is asked of me as long as it doesn't go against what God wants us to do. And I'm not going to disrespect them because they're employing me. Okay, but that has nothing to do with the will of God. This is simply loving your neighbor. Exactly. All right, so it says, and they that have believing masters. So, you may actually end up working for a believer. Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved uh, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ and to his doctrine, which is according to godliness, now, see, it says, if any man doesn't teach unto wholesome words, I look this up in the Greek. Wholesome words means, you know, because some people would think, man, that means like good hearted, like it make you feel built up. No, wholesome words are the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. It means that it would be a doctrine preached where you would be lacking nothing. It means it's giving you what you need, right, giving you what you need for growth. That's all wholesome words means here. Some people say, man, you got to be good and wholesome. That means that, you know, you make them feel welcome. They ain't got nothing to do with that. This is all about building people up. This is a complete gospel. This is giving you the meat and potatoes and steak and everything else that you're going to need for growth. Right. All the nutrients. Exactly. All the nutrients. She summed it up in one shot, and I'm naming the, the food <laughs> <laughs> different things, but it's true. So it says, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ to his doctrine and according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Now, I've seen this in a lot of prosperity teachings, and this is why a lot of people hang around. You start hearing Joel Steen and these guys talk about what they have, and of course there are people in the midst that he will take care of, okay, because it's not going to fly with everybody. So you're going to take care of certain people closest to you. They're going to be driving the biggest and best cars. And it's going to seem like, man, his doctrine is working because look at the people that, you know, have that are believing. He's taking care of them, okay? Believe that. He found people of his peers that are doing like he's doing and they're getting rich. But then to the guy who's in the back of the laity or whatever they like to call it, he's wondering, man, I'd like to have that too. So what are you doing? You're envying. You're envying after things other than Jesus Christ. Man, look at how he's living. There's nothing wrong with a godly. Look at this man's stuff. Look at all he has. So what do you do? You start contributing to that doctrine because you're believing that this is true. And it's a lie. 
So it brings strife. You feel like the one in there who doesn't have anything. Verse 5. Perverse disputings of men and of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. So if anybody's trying to push you back up under the world and under, you know, um, having a gain is godliness, so God loves you, so he gave you this and he's giving you that, the Bible tells you to withdraw yourself. Why? Because they're trying to let the old man back alive instead of pursuing what Jesus wants. Once you start loving this world, you will forget it. Verse, uh, and it says, destitute of the truth. So it's not the truth. So it's telling you that gain is not godliness because they're destitute of truth. Six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. This is a place that I never thought I'd get to in my life and the Lord is still working on me. But I never thought that I could just have a regular job, you know, live a regular life, do his will, do the things that I can do. And he's still blessing me. And I'm okay with that. He's never seen me lacking. I feel like what I have is as good as anybody with $10 million. Exactly. Because no matter what problem has come my way, the Lord had quickly canceled it, giving me when I need it, walking with him, getting in his word, loving him, and staying focused on eternal life. I never thought I would feel that way. I came from Wall Street. I made six figures at the New York Stock Exchange. And I remember who I thought I was when I was there. I thought I was somebody. But you see, there comes the point where the Lord had to show me what that place was about for me to leave it. That place was totally satanic. But I had the little NYSE thing on my shirt. I think I showed Sarah that thing before. You might have seen it. But, you know, a little ribbon that I worked in, a little badge that I worked. So what? I'm trading on the New York Stock Exchange. So what? But, you know, those people think that they're somebody, but you should see the lives that they live. They got like four or five women that they're paying child support. They got a $300 a day coke habit. Okay, they're dealing with, they can't retire because they done taken out their sixth mortgage. I mean, these people are living it up, man, to the point where they are old, corrupting on the floor, but they think that they're still gaining. Man, I would rather have Jesus Christ give me everything I need when he gives it to me, and I'm good to go. You know, so godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So we understand here that you know, a lot of Jesus said a rich man will hardly enter into heaven. Hey, there is nothing wrong with ha with having. I know Christians that do have some really nice things, but they are believers. Every time they get paid, they'll take out 10% and take care of people in their neighborhood. I know people like this. We're just trying to bring this thing together so we can grow in Christ. But these people are believers. They care nothing about money. You talk to them about money, they could care less. They are really serving the Lord. Two of them I know are lawyers, which, you know, I'm kind of funny about that, too. They're trying to break away from because it's hard to be a lawyer and be a Christian. OK, so they are also involved in other things like real estate and everything. But the point is, is that they are slowly being taken away from things. You know, they heard the gospel. They believed it. They had believed in God before they became lawyers. But. You know, we're all getting stronger in our faith. But one of the issues that we're having, you know, the Jeffrey Center, oh, yeah. those guys upstairs. Yeah. So they're really, um, they're decent people, but 
it's hard for a man to fully commit because the more you gain here, you start to love that and you fight with it over what God is telling you. That's why the rich man couldn't believe it when Jesus said, man, sell everything you got and follow me. And the guy was like, nah, man, you're not that good. I thought you were good until you mentioned that. But see, a lot of people don't believe God would tell you this. Man, forsake the world and let's go. So I'm looking to hope to have more, um, to increase in Jesus and decrease in anything in the world. That's right. I'm hoping to have, like just how when we started fasting, you never thought that you could eat once a day in, in maybe four or five days. You never thought you could do that. You, man, I got to eat. You know, it's dinner time. But once you have trained, your, your body's been trained to accept that, you're not even that hungry. I'll eat when I can. I'm not starving. I'll eat when I have, when, when it's necessary for me. It's the same thing with money and the things of this world. All I want is what Jesus Christ can give me. So I'm hoping to decrease in worldly things and increase in God. Because unless we do that, I don't believe that we're going to go. I don't believe we will because there'll always be something hooked to you. Just when you say, you know what, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to pursue the Lord. And wait a minute, your ankle's hooked in. You know what it's hooked into? Your world, your education, your riches, your girlfriend, your wife, whomever. These things can hold you back. So you want, that's why the Lord wants people equally yoked. Because when he decides to make a move with you, your wife is either going to go with you on that expedition or the Lord's going to have her doing something that she needs to do for him too. But there'll be no misunderstanding. But when you're with someone that doesn't believe, oh man, you're just doing that to go run off and do your thing. You know, they don't believe you. And then by the time you come back, they want a divorce. So God wants people on the same plane believing the gospel. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Because no matter how much money you have, you will never, ever take away that sorrow in this life. You are going to suffer like anyone else. I always wondered how someone can just become an athlete all his life, work his skills to perfection, and then go get hooked on drugs, then go commit suicide. There was something missing in that man that he needed, that money was never going to give him. So, you know, you're only kidding yourself thinking that the more I have, the happier I'll be. Any rich man who would be honest with you would tell you that was garbage, but he can't tell you that. Because then that means that the person would ask, well, what are you doing with all that stuff then? Because they have not figured out who Jesus Christ is. Verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. So the Lord wants us to hold on to eternal life. Man, if this is your one shot to make it, don't let a false Jesus, a false doctrine, a false gospel stop you from going. Because the Lord is making it clear, hey man, this is it. I don't know how long you're going to live. Well, he does. But the point is, is you don't want to fool around with this. As long as you got breath in your body, you better pursue eternal life. You've got to get ready. you got to have that plane built, and you've got to have it ready to blast off into eternity because you can't lack anything at this point. And, you know, I'm just, I know a lot of people disagree with me concerning this because, no, you can still do whatever you want and serve the Lord. 
I once believed that, but the more I'm reading this, okay, I am learning, hey, man, this is that serious. This is what really matters. All this other stuff is a matrix. It's a bunch of garbage. So the false gospel is going to turn you on to that. I'll make a few quick points. Yeah. That, um, you know, the Lord could put you in a place in the world to reach out to others. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe he can give you a job to do it. But, you know, when you come there, you are going to, you may do some good or some work. That's what I feel like I'm doing right now. I know next year is going to be more more intense than this year. This year I ministered and got in trouble, but next year we're going to be casting out demons. I ain't kidding around. It's time to get down to the nitty-gritty to where they can say, you know what, we want you out of here, you know, cause you're, and they'll probably say I did something negative, I beat a child or something. They'll say something, all right? They're not going to tell you that you cast out demons or that you dealt with the devil. They're going to say, they're going to, trust me, I'll probably be on the milk carton somewhere saying that I did something that I didn't do. But this is how the devil works. So I believe, yes, the Lord can use you where you are, and this all takes faith. But what I'm saying is, as we grow in Christ, you know, we are going to do more. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be stuck doing the same thing. And that's why he said the, the third one that was choked up by the thorns in the parable of the sower, the cares of this life is what held him back. You could have been like Peter. You could have been like Paul. You could have been like Jesus Christ. But what you wanted to do was you wanted to be, you know, someone that I can do it here. God wants us to have ever-increasing faith. And the more natural we are, it's hard to go that much farther. That's why, you know, the Lord will tell us sometimes, and I'm sure you guys have heard this in your voices since no, I mean, in your conscience since knowing the Lord. Throw out everything you got. I don't know if you guys ever heard that. TV, computer, throw it out. Get rid of it. You're like, man, I ain't come from the Lord. I believe that, you know, that was the enemy because I am doing what I can do for the Lord. Hey, I've been guilty of this. But as we grow in him, one day you're just going to throw stuff out. And you're not going to, I mean, you're going to know why. But there's going to be, you know what, I'm just not happy here. The Holy Ghost is being grieved in my everyday life because I know I should be doing more for the Lord. Man, that is the real gospel. That's what the real spirit of God would do. Second Timothy chapter 3. Man, but another Jesus. Yeah. We'll go straight through this one. Everyone knows this. Alright, Second Timothy chapter three and verse one. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, dangerous times, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Now, that, that to me is the biggest thing on this list because, you know, there's nothing wrong with being content in the spirit and doing what the Lord asks. But when you love pleasure more than God, you can't stay with God. That's what he's saying. It's almost like pleasure of God. Because if you're content in the spirit with godliness, you're good. But when you love the pleasures of this life, I mean, the Holy Ghost gives you contentment. The Holy Ghost gives you joy. He gives you peace. But the world gives you pleasure. You know, like, oh, man, I'm just loving it up. And this is why the Bible talks about enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. 
Because Moses could have done that. Moses could have lived just like the rest of the Israel. I mean, like the Egyptians. He was almost like the sun. Moses could have stayed there and lived it up and had no problems. Maybe until the Lord came after Egypt. But he chose to suffer with his people. Other than endure sin for a season. That's important. You know, the fact that none of this means anything. I want God. I'm telling you, it works. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And this is why you're going to hear a lot of sweet loving, you know, and, and sensual language and everything else. But man, we ain't talking power. We're not talking Holy Ghost. We're not talking about casting out devils. We're not talking about being offensive for Jesus Christ, being built up and going against that which is not like Christ. This is, this is another part of false gospel. They build you up to feel good, but they don't get you ready for war. And Paul says, endure hardness in the last chapter as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said, if you're warned for Jesus, you can't get entangled in this garbage. Because this stuff will hook you. So, you know, he's letting them know false gospel is never going to put you on the offensive. Now, the reason why I listen to Derek Prince, Pastor Price, R.W. Schombach and those guys, because they make you want to do something for Jesus. You can be feeling beat down and hurt or broken or, you know, I'm just not ministering. I feel like my fire's going out. Man, you cut those guys on, you are ready to hit the street. And that is what it's about. They're lighting that fire in you to do the will of God. But if someone is, oh, the Lord loves you and it's love. And you know what you do? You just sit back and... <sighs> I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful. You see, but there's no, there's no offensive in this. There's no doing the will of God in that. Nope. You want somebody to add hot cocoa and put a blanket over you so you can just sit there and think about Jesus. Also, on the point of enduring hardness, uh, you can't do that without the power of the Holy Ghost. Like, Absolutely. Not the real walk mm -hmm. Absolutely, and that's why he wants us to have ever-increasing faith, the Holy Ghost to grow in us. But we've got to have faith. I mean, faith is the anchor behind all things. You don't receive the Holy Ghost until you believe Jesus Christ is the way. You know, he's your Savior. So from there, he wants us to continuously grow. But if we're still in our lives, you know, not being built up and things are not happening for us, we're not getting an urge to do more in the kingdom than there is something wrong because God always wants us to get better and better and not by our righteousness but by what he does exactly. the more Christ grows in us the more for Jesus Christ we will want to do I was talking to Carlin um, I think it was Saturday I messaged him because I noticed I just got finished going off outside of the hotel like I was out there talking and they were making fun of me talking about the earth and you believe that the Bible's accurate and this and that and I remember, man, going into them with scripture. I didn't care where I was, what was going on. Even uh, Billy, my boss, he walked out and was like, man, they're really into it. He went back in. But I noticed everyone else was like, you know, they were sitting there listening. And I was just, but I'm like, man, where was that? A month and a half ago. Like my fire was starting to go out. Like I was back there, you know, listening, you know, watching videos and praying to myself and talking to anyone who would listen. But I've noticed that because we've been out there more, I've been more bold. And I asked Carlin, I said, have you been feeling that way? And Carlin said, oh, yeah. He said, I've been, I've had no problem telling people what's what now because you're putting it into practice. 
Okay, so the more that we go out there and we do, Christ gets formed more in us because we're going to need it. But I know, I mean, have you been feeling like there's a boldness that you start having? Like, man, I'm going to say they need to know Jesus. I don't care what's going on right now. Go ahead. So you want to say something? It becomes less scary and becomes more of your nature and who you are and what you need to do. Exactly. So that's why I'm saying if we're not growing in Christ and, and being built up in him, then we're lacking something. You got the I mean, I just realized like Saturday, I mean, I used to do it before, but then I felt like something was dying out. But man, I was shooting from the hip. I didn't even take my gun out of the holster. I was just firing, I mean, like right at them with, with what they knew. One of the guys was talking to me like, hey man, uh, when do y'all have these studies and stuff? You know, he wanted to get in. Everybody else, of course, oh man, now you're going to preach to me. But I realized I didn't care what anybody thought. Right. So this is why, man, we've got to, I think it's good practice for it's us to get out there practice. and do it. Yeah. Because the more familiar you get with it, and every time isn't going to be like this. We're going to face greater opposition, but you're going to believe God that much more. Exactly. So I don't believe in being stagnant for years and years. Pastor Price said, church is the craziest place in the world. He said, imagine going to Notre Dame or Notre Dame, whatever they say it. And you're there for 375 years and didn't graduate. You've been studying chemistry, chemistry for 360 years, but you've never put it into practice. Church is the only place that is run that way. You sit there all your life, never putting into practice everything that you're being taught and learning. Mm -hmm. You know, you sit there stagnant as a student. He said, man, when are you going to get up and walk and actually start to do it? I mean, when the gospel was presented to me, I always felt like, man, just me sitting there and, and just constantly, there's nothing wrong with learning because I, I have teachers as well, you know, but none greater than God, you know, than the Holy Ghost. But I'm saying that there was a part of me that always felt like Melissa remembers. We were listening to you, you too, Gary Price. The year, Steve Quayle, this one and that one. And while I'm sitting there listening, there was always a part of me that was like, man, I want to get in this. I want to do this. I never felt like I just, uh, I'll just listen every week to what they're saying. There was a part of me that wanted to do it. And I believe if you're really getting hit with the real gospel, it's going to give you the urge to want to do more. There's no way of being stagnant. That's not good enough anymore. Nope. You know, verse 6. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away by diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I would have to agree with Derek Prince. This isn't a chauvinistic remark against women, but a lot of them have been involved in a sensual realm. And they feel like by joining women's ministries and doing all this stuff, if women are full of the Holy Ghost, that's fine. I'm not even talking about that. But I have learned that a lot of women will flock up under women's ministries because they want that woman's nurturing thing because they can't deal with a patriarch like God the Father. Now, there's nothing that God can't teach anyone. Christina and Sarah, I mean, you know, you guys... Come on, you guys are teaching and doing your thing. You aren't sitting up under a women's ministry. I'm not saying it wouldn't be beneficial, but the Bible makes clear here that the women are, you know, supposed to, older women are supposed to teach the young women how to be women. Yep. It's got nothing to do with the gospel. Okay, so a lot of that stuff is going on because they feel like, well, I need to hear more from a woman than I need a man. Because they cannot really accept things. 
You're talking about women problems. There's no women problems. There's only Jesus Christ. You're going to say that there's problems only germane to women that the Holy Ghost don't understand? Come on. Oh, this is a woman's issue. No, it's an Adam and Eve issue. They both ate from the fruit, and Jesus Christ is who came to redeem them. Eve didn't eat the fruit because she was a woman, okay? Mm -hmm. Eve was a sinner, and so was Adam. And the Holy Ghost is the only thing in believing in Jesus Christ that can make us whole. So a lot of people, oh, well, we need a, we got women problems. There's things men don't understand. I don't have to understand it. The Holy Ghost understands all things. I mean, so come on, if Christ is formed in you, whether you're male or female, what difference does it make if there's a woman problem? And then again, you're putting your trust in that woman or that man, pastor, whatever, to help solve your problems when it should be on Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, look how offensive you guys are in preaching the gospel and talking to people. You got women in women's ministries that will still not go forward in doing it. So do you think being a woman is the problem? It's about who wants to have Christ formed in them that they may do his will. That's all it is. Verse 8. Now as Jannies and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. So in the end times, and I agree with Derek Prince and Pastor Price when they say this, that for the church there is going to be open confrontation. This thing is going to be fought in the supernatural planes. All right, I'm not talking X-Men, I'm talking reality. You're going to find people that are involved in witchcraft and other things. They are going to come against the church in supernatural power. And those that know their God will be able to stand up. But when you find that it's the Christian that's healing, when you find out it's the Christian that's casting out devils, it's the Christian that is going forward with the power of God. Now the questions are going to be raised. Okay. This little small group is full of the Holy Ghost doing the will of God. So who are you? You know, because my pastor never talked about this. He never did any of this stuff. So is he authentic or is he fake? See, this is what's going to come to the head. Who is this person that's been wasting our time bringing us into the natural when the Holy Ghost has been living in believers still doing the works of Jesus? So he's saying they're going to be manifest. Jannies and Jambres, the magicians, they, had, they were matching Moses shot for shot, but losing. But when they got to the dust turned to lice, they said, hey, you better listen to him. This is from the finger of God. So this is where the Lord is going to authenticate every single believer. He spoke about those signs that of those that would believe would come. People are walking in those. You have not been stamped by the Lord. Mm -hmm. Verse 9. Um, verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So Paul is saying, hey, I've got a resume. No one can call me fake. You guys have all heard about what happened to me. If you're really a believer, you need to be in the fight. And it's just that simple. There's no such thing as a believer going to church for 50 years or walking around knowing Jesus for 60 years and you've never been persecuted. That means you're not even a believer. Because if you are, the devil is going to come and seek you out. Believe me when I tell you. You're not going to walk around doing the, the Lord's will and nothing's going to happen to you. That's garbage. Uh, yet and all... 
uh, suffer persecution. I think I read 12, right? Verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus have suffered, shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So this is what's going on everywhere. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and, and that from a child uh, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, to reprove, I mean for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that a man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So what are we, what are we getting built up for? To have good works. Ephesians 4, and I think I'm going to um, get it from there. I've been sitting here a while. I don't even know what time it is. Tell you, man, the gospel, the real gospel, is going to put you on the offensive. Yep. The only reason why I said to Christina what I said to her when she first, you know, we first met her and all, that was because that was the Lord's instruction. That wasn't mine. The Lord wasn't telling me, oh, well, you need to tell people this and that. I said, hey, the Lord said, you know, come with something every week. And I mean, you see how fast you learned, I mean, just by doing your own study. It does not take long. You know, it's about who wants it. It wasn't some bright idea I had. I'm not that smart. Ephesians 4, and we'll start at verse 11. Everyone there? And it says, He gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay, so the only reason we have teachers, pastors, evangelists, prophets, and apostles is to perfect the saints to do the work of the ministry. If anybody's not getting you ready for the work of the ministry, then it's not the gospel. They can't be of God. That's the whole point. Because it's going to eventually put you in that place where you feel confident enough to go out and preach. 13. Till we all come in the unity of, of faith, of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what is the gospel again doing? Building you up in Jesus till you reach full stature. And you'll know it when you get there too. That is what it truly called baptized in fire. Believe me, you'll be offensive from that day on. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So you take it from being made of the full stature of Christ and, and not worried about them. These people are okay. But then he says that you will be no more children tossed to and fro. You know when you've got the right gospel. Because you can go and sit amongst anyone and the Holy Ghost is going to tell you when something is false. Exactly. Believe me. This is why doctrine needs to be sound. Because when you find out that it's false, you know, it just gives you an uneasy feeling. Mm -hmm. That's not true. You know, so it's going to be for godly edifying. But look what he says. Who gives you those false doctrines? Cunning, crafty men that lie in wait to deceive. And speaking the truth and love may grow up uh, into him and in in all things, 
which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by uh, that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself and love. So that word for love right there is agape, but that is talking selflessness. Okay, when we get to the point of doing the will of Lord, not worrying about us, or not worrying about other things, but caring for your brethren and loving your Lord, you have reached the fullness of Christ. No one's going to have to tell you Jesus Christ will be fully formed in you. I wanted to go to a scripture or something, but I don't think we got time to go there tonight. What time is it? Right here. Oh, yeah. Woo. Time to get out of here. But, uh, you know, so that that's pretty much the teaching where we're talking about um, another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit, because God makes clear what he wants. This is uh, eight reasons to love sound doctrine. Love sound doctrine because God loves sound doctrine. Scripture commands leaders to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, as to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Sound doctrine flows from God's words and revealed and, and revealed will in Scripture. God gave us his word and sound doctrine so we could know him, love him, obey him, and teach others about him and what he's done for us in Christ. Let us love it because uh, we love him. So you should want the correction. This is two. Love sound doctrine because sound doctrine matures individuals and the church. Unsound doctrine itself um, upsets faith, uh, leads people astray, and ultimately wastes our time. Uh, like in pastor, uh, he's talking about some other pastor, uh, teaching sound doctrine leads to spiritual maturity in both individuals and in the church. So, you know, he gave us uh, scriptures for that. Sound doctrine grows our faith and leads us uh, to invest time wisely for Christ and his kingdom by maturing individuals in the church into the image of Christ. This is three. Love sound doctrine because sound doctrine flows from the gospel. So it's not going to be something thought up or heard. It's going to be sound. Love sound doctrine because it leads us to holiness. That's This is five. Love sound doctrine because it keeps us from false doctrine. <laughs> this is six. Love sound doctrine because it leads to action. You know, so see, you will be offensive. This is seven. Love sound doctrine because a love for sound doctrine is a love for Christ himself. And it's true, because if you know if these words were inspired by Jesus, this is what you want. This is eight. Love sound doctrine because it ultimately leads to worship. And I agree, you know, that to hear of the real gospel of Jesus Christ only makes you want to pursue him that much more. Right. It really does. It makes you just feel like, man, you know, God is awesome. I don't look at it like, man, great tribulation, affliction. Man, we got to go through all this stuff now. Oh, man. I don't feel that way. I'm like, hey, sign me up. If I get a chance to have Christ live in me, man, let's get this done. So that's the lesson for tonight. I'm telling people out of love, cling to the real Jesus. Stay away from false doctrine or false gospel and have the right spirit so that Christ may live in us. All right.
go to Romans 16 or 17. Sixteen and seventeen. Um, now I beseech you, brother, mark them which cause the vision and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. So goes perfectly with what was being taught tonight, because when, like he, like he was saying that when Satan has learned a long time ago, he cannot fight the spiritual battle on the outside of the church. He has to come directly on the inside. And Paul was even talking about this in his day. So, anyone that brings in, you know, like Derek Prince was saying, damnable heresies, anything that goes contrary to the Word of God. And even with, you know, the, I don't, this is not the subject, but with the other Bible versions. You know, you've got to be careful about those other Bible versions because some of them actually take out whole chapters. The Revelation says if you were to add or take away, what's going to happen to you? So that, that could be even something that's been brought into question as far as, like, you know, are people really reading from the right version? You know, can they be caught off track by that? Or, you know, just individuals wanting to come out and they seem, like, too overly friendly about stuff because there can be witches and warlocks in the church these days. So we got to be careful of that. But it's also about what, what is being taught. Is it going according to God's Word? And with that, I want to just read Acts 15 and 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So that actually goes back to the whole Hebrew-Israelite movement that's going on today when they're trying to say that people have to come back under the law to be saved. But it's not for salvation. They're trying to bring people into another doctrine of Israel and who Israel is. Everything that we do when we talk to people should only be for bringing people to the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that's it. All right, verse 18. Romans 16, verse 18. For they, are such, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So who were they going to affect? They're not, they're not going to affect those that are, are, are fully grown in Jesus Christ. They're going to pinpoint those that they know are not. That's who they're going to target. That's who they're going to say, you know what? Let me, say, let me show you what I've interpreted. Whenever someone says what I've interpreted the scriptures to say, you know, hey, you know what? Got to have that discernment. That's like uh, Derek last week talking to that guy. Hey, well, explain it. What are you getting out of it? And Derek was just sitting there telling him, but he couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah, he tried to bump the Bible, didn't understand any of it, mm -hmm. you know, because he's repeating what he's hearing instead of studying it himself. Exactly. But, yeah. but that's that's what they get. They go after the simple-hearted. They go after those that have not been grounded in Christ yet. Verse 19, For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So whenever evil comes out, look at it for what it really is. Don't go and you know try and dissect it or anything like, hey man, this is good. This is God's word. This over here is not. Verse twenty. 
And the peace of God shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. And then let's go to Colossians 2 and 1. When we say amen, the whole thing will go silent again. Mission accomplished. Amen. All right, actually, let's go to 6, verse 6. Colossians 2, verse 6? Yeah. All right, 2 and 6. As ye have therefore received Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in your faith. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And there it is again. Why are so many people today in the church going to go to hell? Because they're following the the traditions that have already been established and not after Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. For in him dwelleth all fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision not made with hands, which means what he, what he does is he indwells the Holy Spirit in us, and he cuts out that uh, fleshly fat around us, and he takes it out, and he indwells us with the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. Buried with him in baptism, wherein ye also are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, which hath raised him from the dead. So when we are baptized with the water, when we are baptized in fire, we are baptized into Jesus Christ, which means we leave that old man, we leave the old world behind, and we are raised in Jesus Christ to walk as he walked, to walk as his disciples walked. And that, that is what he truly, that's what true love is. You know, we're out there talking to people about Jesus Christ. That's what it, you know, like it was said tonight, that's what it really is. Christ was here not to boast of himself, but to bring people to to the Father. And as we have to do, to bring people to Jesus Christ. That's what I have to say. All right. All right, so for me, I guess we can pray out. Uh, Anybody, any volunteers? I'll pray. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here tonight to be able to be together and learn your word deeper, Lord Jesus. Lord, I want to pray for all the people who couldn't be with us tonight, Lord, that are on our hearts and minds, Lord, that are going through things and who are out there. I ask for protection over them, Lord. I ask for healing upon them, Lord, restoration, Lord, to clean them out, sanctify them, and for the blood of Christ to be flowing through them, Lord, tonight and all of us here tonight, Lord Jesus. I pray the blood of Christ over us, Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask for you to continue to bestow upon us your wisdom and your revelation, Lord, and discernment at the times we need it and at times when we just want to be closer to you and know you and know the knowledge of you and relationship with you, Lord Jesus. I ask that you get our compassion to flow through us, Lord, to speak the gospel and rude speech, Lord, whatever it takes to, to glorify you, Lord Jesus, and to help deliver the message so that people might be saved, Lord. 
Heavenly Father, going out tomorrow, I ask um, that you bring anybody upon our way that needs saving, Lord, that needs prayer, Lord Jesus, that needs to be preached upon, Lord Jesus. And I ask that you continue to teach us through it, Lord, to help us grow and mature in Christ and get us closer to you, Lord. Lord, Thank you for this message tonight, Lord. I ask that um, you bless the hands who delivered it, Lord Jesus, and I ask that you just bless everyone here. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.